there we go. Red Leaf Retrocast. Wrestling episode. Ricky, we're back. We're back. We're back. We got AEW to talk about with a amazing cage match. We got Wrestling Duntaku. New Japan is back, I'm happy to say. We've been trying to say it for sure a few months now, and boy, does it feel like that more than ever. Uh, Japanese wrestling's finally pushing new stars again for the first time in just many years. Uh, I got Absolutely. a lot of Joshi to get into with a hell of a lot of stardom. The Indies had a big, big week of uh, Golden Week to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sadly, very sadly, both our hockey teams just got smashed. <laughs> <laughs> what a brutal sure going did. for it yeah round two was uh pretty rough for my devils um what can i say it was a great season um this young team showed a lot of promise and i think i mean obviously there will be changes in the off season but everything that i saw this season and in the playoffs bodes well for the near future um I saw a lot of people giving the team shit about um, goaltending, which clearly they didn't have an elite goaltender. However, goaltending was not their only problem. No, that Um, series was Carolina was their problem. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that team was known for their speed and they couldn't keep up with Carolina except for that one game, Um, which... The game that they won against Carolina, that the final was eight to four. At one point, I think the score was like seven to one, and then Carolina scored three goals in a row. Right. Um, it was not good. So yes, I don't, I don't think they should have continued to swap goalies out in the middle of a playoff run. But goaltending was not the major problem for that team, so. Yeah, I, I found I found a very similar with uh, critique of the Leafs during their series, uh, how Ilya Samsonov wasn't delivering all these kinds of things. Uh, the main critique, obviously, mm. is uh, people are making fun of the starting lineup, the starting the starting three with uh, particularly Tavares and Matthews not being able to get the job done on the scoring end. But the mm-hmm. way I was the way well, first of all that elimination game that they that they had was kind of a culmination of the whole series was a lot of bullshit i know on the last podcast we were talking i was talking about how the referees had been pretty fair for the most part but Mm -hmm. that series was that whole series of florida versus toronto uh i think i'm finally on your side now (laughs) because that was (laughs) that was just like i'm on two sides of the of the coin here like yeah on one hand Yes, I think the referees made blatant calls very much uh, as in no, no calls in favor of Florida mm-hmm. and just easy penalties against Toronto. That was rampant throughout the series uh, with the with the exception of one game where it was fair, I felt, and uh, that was the one that Toronto won. But when when I look back now on the Boston series and how physical it was, there was kind of no calls mm-hmm. being made throughout the entire series of that. So Florida came into the Toronto series very physical themselves, and they were getting away with it. So as the games went gotcha. on in the series, they just kept getting more and more physical and still nothing being called. I mean, I'm talking boarding, 
interference, tripping, mm-hmm. just nothing being called left and right. And they just kept going harder until they, they basically played to see what they could get away with. And yep. do I blame Toronto on not matching that physicality? I kind I kind of do. I kind of see that sure. they didn't they didn't match it. But then again, they really couldn't because when they're getting delay of game calls off of just a weak just puck that bounces into the audience, right. how physical can you play when you're getting called against calls against you like that? Yeah. So there, that was That's, a huge yeah, disadvantage. A I saw. Yeah, it was it was very hard, but. Uh, particularly, uh, obviously, the, the the goat in the room, uh, goat in the room. I don't know if he, that's even a phrase. <laughs> Elephant in the room. Well, maybe the goat, but yes. I, I don't know. Elephant in the room is the uh, overtime game winning goal where it was uh, Gudas not only just holding the stick blatantly on the game winning goal against the defender. He was also tripping him and interference on top of it. So there's three calls that weren't made in one play on one guy right in front of the goalie. <laughs> On the game-winning goal, so and and not to mention him screaming in front of the goalie uh, as it go- as it goes off. Um, very memorable series, I will say. Mm-hmm. Toronto did not get swept, but um, you know, Florida is now going to be a team that I'm going to be paying attention to for a long time because sure. uh, I find them all very goonish, very '90s-esque <laughs> play style. And it worked for them. Yep. It's worked for them against Boston. It's worked for them against Toronto. And this Carolina series is going to be extremely interesting to watch. I agree. Uh, I, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But then the elephant on in the room on your end is that uh, heavy missed goal by the Devils. And then Jack oh. Hughes... Just getting, just going, what is it, ass over tea kettle, going face first in the ice on the missed goal. That's, uh, that's going to be a meme for years to come. Yeah, (laughs) the Clint, and the, yeah, the, the goal that clinched the series, just not, uh, yeah, I mean, we lost in overtime, right? So it was sudden death and uh, we, we died. (laughs) <laughs> Devils did not make we it. Just laid over and died. So no Red Leaf Retro cast of Maple Leafs against the Devils here. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Avs are out, and we have to probably deal with the sadness of Seattle Vegas in the Western Conference Ugh. Finals because Edmonton yeah. cannot defend. They can't do it. I knew it was a problem that right. they had, and unless they score six goals a game, it's just not happening for them. <laughs> McDavid yep. can only do so much. Drysaddle can only score so many hat tricks. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when, when you just sure. don't have defense against any team in the NHL, it's just not happening. So, who do That's we root, who do we root for yeah. at this point? Carolina. <laughs> I uh, okay. So I'm of two minds. Um, but yes, usually when my team is eliminated from the playoffs, I root for the team that eliminated my team. I want if I'm gonna go down, I want to go down to the team that is the best. Right. So I will probably root for Carolina. Now, uh, if the Devils had lost to the Rangers, I wouldn't be rooting for the Rangers. But <laughs> all right, we know, got a so line there's, drawn. There's, there we go. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I probably will continue to root for Carolina. Yeah. So that's hockey talk. <laughs> I could go into golf talk. Been doing that a, a lot. It's taken up a lot of my time. Look, work's been very stressful over the past like six weeks. 
and I'm finding a lot of uh, stress relief in the game of golf and me picking it up and really attempting to uh, learn the basics well and getting better at it. Uh, I'm very excited for the summer and how it's going to play out and my journey. I got a um, look, I'm a beginner, so I got a uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I practiced on the par three course. On Thursday, went to a nice course. I put pictures out on on Twitter. On Friday, uh, got a um, a fifty, so you know, getting a hundred overall, and then a fifty-one on Saturday. So I'm I'm consistent. That's what that's where I'm at. I need practice on my putting. <clears throat> I got to practice my putting. I, uh, I I just don't have a straight back end stroke to it yet. Uh, I got a lot to work mm-hmm. on there. Um, well, but, I'm excited to hear about your progress. Yeah. So anytime I uh, have some uh, new development in my game, I'll probably share it on one of my many podcasts. <laughs> That's here on. And bowling is done for the season. I'm taking I'm taking the summer off from bowling, so I will not. Uh, you will not be hearing much out of me on that. I might go out for uh, a couple practice sessions here, but um, sure. For the most part, it's 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 my off season. And I'm going to use that off season, oh. much like the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm hitting, I'm hitting the courses. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. That's what I'm doing. Okay, I'm trying right. to pull up a notepad here uh, of various notes, if you will, and then we can get into AEW. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay, got it up. Now I got to get to the drop. What are we feeling? Kenny Omega? I think we're feeling Kenny Omega. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So AEW, we're on the road to double or nothing here. So our next podcast will be covering that, I believe. That's how it will play out. And I guess we'll just do an overall heat check over the last couple weeks, and uh, I'll just kind of go through the last couple weeks of Dynamite here in this card. Uh, We have uh, eight-man tag, Adam Cole, Bandito, Cassidy, Roderick Strong showing up in AEW. Who saw that coming? Defeats the JAS team. Soraya defeats Willow Nightingale in a terrible match. Uh, Very um, (laughs) on. (laughs) It's very on par with uh, the women's division these days. Uh, my, if it's not mm-hmm. Athena, it's pretty bad. That's that's how <laughs> I'm taking it right now. Yeah, By about, the way... That's about right. Did you watch that Athena Sky Blue match? No, I did not. Is that a Ring, Ring of, of Honor? Honor match? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Athena's, not been watching Ring of Honor. Athena's hidden on AEW Dark Red and Black. And Ooh. she's just... Anything she's doing there is worth the price of admission. Like, I, I just consist, like, it's her and Emi Sakura, wherever those two are right now. They're the, yeah. they're, in my opinion, the best that's going on in American women's wrestling right now because of the variety and the mm-hmm. just difference each match they have uh, is and has been. Uh, they're incredible. Yeah. I know Bianca Belair and uh, Io Shirai had a good match in Puerto Rico with a shit finish, uh, but um, I still went two out of three on it. But Athena Sky Blue. Over in Ring of Honor uh, was an excellent, excellent match. Good, great for the development of Sky Blue and Athena mm-hmm. attacking her after the match and doing heel shit. Uh, great stuff. Highly recommend that. 
Um, so what are your thoughts on Athena being, I don't want to say stuck on Ring of Honor um, because she's their champion, but what are your thoughts of her, on her being in Ring, of, in Ring of Honor and not featured on national television? I think it's a miss on AEW, majorly. Uh, I, it, the Ring of Honor at this point needs an identity, and if its identity is... Uh, indie and young talent getting reps and development. That's what it should be. Um, they need to be running stories and angles, which they're really not doing. And mm-hmm. Athena just kind of stuck there doing this amazing character and putting in good matches with whomever she's against. It's a huge miss that she's not on TV in some capacity. Now, with the prospect of Collision coming up later this summer, perhaps that's a good place mm-hmm. for her. Uh, it's certainly not Ring of Honor. And, and such a low platform sure. that it is, I believe Ring of Honor has potential uh, to be something that AEW needs now that Dark and Elevation are what they are, or slash going mm-hmm. away uh, and being replaced by this collision, essentially. Uh, Athena, like, let me put it this way. Claudio's on AEW TV, and he's Ring of Honor champion. Um but Athena and Samoa Joe are seemingly just kind of out of sight, out of mind uh, to the masses. And I think that's a huge miss. I, I think with where what the women's division AEW is at this state in 2023 with a mm-hmm. lot of their main talent and talent in ring that you want to see wrestle. And instead we're getting, I don't, I don't mean to pick on them, but we're getting Anna Jay and Julia Hart in matches on Dynamite, uh, to me, that doesn't meet the standard that needs to be set. And I, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think that match was bad, but it definitely wasn't good, and it's just an example of people not being ready for Major League Wrestling. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, And the fact that the only storyline on in the women's division on AEW television lately has been the outcasts versus the originals. We've seen different combinations of the same match for the past at least eight weeks. Yeah, it's, I, been I, more, uh, it's been more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bring me, bring me Athena, bring me Emmy. Yeah, hopefully with the more, you know, two extra hours, we'll get some of that. And then at Ring of Honor can go back to being what it was, which was a super indie. Um, it certainly should and be. And yeah. Like that's, that's... That's what I want. I mean, especially with the elimination of Dark and Dark Elevation, Ring of Honor should be the super indie where people get their reps. And AW is, you know, the, the big time. Right. It, it, when when I see guys like Action Andretti, for example, I think of what a place Ring of uh, Ring of Honor would be for that kind of guy. He's been featured on Ring of Honor, right? He's been tagging with Darius, I believe. I'm, at, I'm not watching. I just this is what I'm hearing and uh, gathering because I think I said something like, "Was Action Andretti showed up on Rampage?" Um, just this past week before we're, we're recording. Um, and I was like, where the hell has he been? And everybody's like, oh, he kind of took Dante's 
spot in top flight after Dante's injury. I'm like, I mean, okay, that a, makes yeah, sense. That's a good. That's a good that's role. A, yeah. And I think but why did he show up on Rampage this right. week? Well, ran, okay. So let me put it this way: I, in my opinion, Rampage should be used as a place to feature good matches and perhaps programs bleeding over from Ring of Honor. Okay, so, something I that like you that. want, yeah, something that you want to highlight uh, from your other platform that not as many people are watching, and to get people ready for TV on a more consistent basis. Rampage could be that thing. Rampage. Rampage also yeah. needs its own identity, and it's like it's not the worst show out there, but it's like Ring of Honor and Rampage are very much parallels of each other in the sense of it's Tony Khan's kind of crux booking of he just likes these WWF superstars from 1992 s cards and booking style. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's about the matchups and not the why they're matching up, um, but. You're right. Like Rampage and Ring of Honor are both pre-recorded, so they're good practice for the talent that don't have the television experience. I could, yes, I, yeah, that's what Rampage should be. You're, you're right. I totally, I'm behind that. Yeah, and and to an extent, that's what it already kind of is with a lot less mm-hmm. star-powered talent there. But the total lack of uh, promos, stories, angles, if you will. Uh, the reason to watch the shows. This is what weekly wrestling television is. If I can, I, it's a big criticism I have with Japanese wrestling is there's just not enough angles and kind of juice to squeeze, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. Anyways, uh, I digress. Uh, Wardlow squash match. Ricky Starks defeats Juice Robinson. Uh, Darby Allen and Mr. Jack Perry defeat MJF and Sammy Guevara in their convoluted let's make it a four-way story. And then we go to <laughs> last week where we had Claudio Ooh. defeating Ray Phoenix. They called it a double Jeopardy match. Sure. Uh, I like that. Orange Cassidy defeats Garcia. Oh. I like that. Julia Hart defeats Anna Jay, which, again, like I said, it wasn't good, but it also wasn't bad. Uh, House of Black defeats Bandito and Best Friends in a, an open house match. Boy, were those rules confusing. <laughs> Ooh, we'll get to that one, yep. Uh, and then John Moxley defeats Kenny Omega with the turn of Don Callis in the steel cage. That's kind of the only thing I want to talk about uh, because right, right, right. We, we hit on a lot of aspects of AEW that we're not into the last couple months, namely the main event okay. storyline. We like the BCC and elite storyline that's going on. So th- those two are very much the top two things in AEW to talk about. Uh, my opinion mostly hasn't changed on the MJF Pillars storyline at all. Uh, last week saved it a little bit for me with a lot of the video packages of... Yes highlighting the talent and everyone involved. Uh, I think that was a good pivot from the direction they've been going with this whole, can we coexist? I don't trust you. Very WWE story. And yeah, not into that, but this saved a little bit to it. And then there's the BCC elite story and Moxley, Kenny Omega in the steel cage match uh, just elevated it uh, twofold over to the point where I'd rather see whatever they're doing as the main event 
at double or nothing, but uh, you know, tradition I expect will prevail there. Uh, but Moxley defeats Kenny Omega. I believe that makes them two and two in their series. Uh, just an mm-hmm. excellent, excellent match. There was a moment where Moxley couldn't get the uh, turnbuckle off during a commercial break, which was <laughs> hilarious while watching on Fight TV. <laughs> uh, there was blood. There was a brawl before the cage match started. They got in the cage. Uh, they're just going through glass. Lots of callbacks from their full gear match that I was at live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was dialed into this the, the entire time. Kenny Omega does a V-trigger through the cage, which was rad as fuck. And um, Moxley ends up getting the screwdriver, which they've been teasing for weeks and weeks and weeks that this this item is extremely destructive. You get hit with this thing once you're done to the point where it's, you know, impaling turnbuckles. (laughs) And uh, Callus gets in the ring because the cage is blown wide open. Uh, Takes the screwdriver from Moxley. Moxley uh, is, I guess, distracted enough for Omega to hit the one winged angel. And just before the three, Callus stabs him in the face and Moxley pins his ass. So huge turn, huge reaction from the crowd. Mm-hmm. How could you, Don Callus, you snake? Uh, this was tremendous. I loved everything about this match. Uh, doing this on TV with an angle like that gives a, gives so much more juice to this storyline, even more than it had before. We had uh, Brian Danielson on commentary going, I don't know what's going on, but I love it. Uh, lots of signs are pointing to Don Callis did this for the Empire and Will Ospreay being the next big thing. Um, more so with uh, uh, Kyle Fletcher challenging Orange Cassidy for the international mm-hmm. title. Love where that's going. Uh, there's a lot of seeds being planted, and I can't wait for Dynamite next Wednesday. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so me. one of the things that has been a con... Uh, Something that I've mentioned many times on the podcast is how uh, crowd involvement affects my enjoyment of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And why it's a huge reason why I fell out of Japanese wrestling during the pandemic and post-pandemic until recently. Um, the stark contrast from the Detroit crowd for this cage match compared to the Fort Lauderdale, Florida crowd <laughs> the week before Holy moly. I mean, that episode of Dynamite was only okay anyway. But if the crowd had been hot, it would have enhanced it. And I would have been sold a lot more on the previous. So the fact that this Detroit crowd was insanely hot all night uh, made it, a hu- I think, really drove everything, every point that AEW was ma- making home. We saw the re-debut of Thunder Rosa and Miro. And the crowd went ballistic. Re-debut, so, sort of. Oh, re, I mean, reappearances. Ah, it's kind <clears throat> of kind of a tease for Collision. Sure. That's really what but it was for. A the crowd went it. wild. The crowd went wild. I, you know, I popped and then the crowd popped and then I popped harder. That's, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the card that was presented for Detroit was indicative of something hot. And therefore, the crowd was hot. Sure. You know, I my reaction from last week uh, compared to the last two months was way different. I was way more mm-hmm. into the show. I was way more into the matches. Way more into the angles. I, 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 I keep. I always say this. I never blame the crowd for a show being bad. I blame the show oh. for not bringing the crowd up. 
Yes, a hundred percent. And I didn't mean uh, my comment to uh, imply otherwise. Um, that the crowd didn't bring the show down, um, but my enjoyment of the show. Um, yeah, because of what I just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, a, a hot crowd uh, will amplify what you're watching for sure. Absolutely, um, but. Uh, yeah, the steel cage match. Um, I actually just rewatched it right before we sat down to record. And um, honestly, my favorite thing um, was Brian Danielson selling <laughs> the betrayal at the end. And he's right. just like laughing like a child. I mean, just brilliant. That is my favorite thing in wrestling he's, right he's so, now. He's so Brian yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I want to meme that and share it and put it everywhere. Um, so let's. I don't pivot. know what else to say about. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's pivot. Let's pivot from there to what we're seeing from AEW of their big shows coming up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So on one hand, we got Forbidden Door Two in Toronto, uh, which I'm going to. That's the plan right now. Mm-hmm. That's June. Yeah, it's uh, June, like, 24th or something. Okay. Then we got All In in London, which has got, like, 66 some some odd thousand tickets sold, which right. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but some industry personnel think that's a bad number. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's the, <laughs> grif- the grifting for yeah, wow. AW... And their their Wembley numbers in, incredible, and the these the, the sure. uh, anticipation of their new TV deal being uh, announced next week. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've I've seen things from well, it's in the UK; they should sell it out. To well, WWE is hot, so therefore all of wrestling is hot, and that's why they're signing a new deal. It's the the grift is incredible, um, and when they run when these people run out of things to say they talk about how tony khan uh his attitude in booking is is bad uh he needs to be replaced by x and y of people from the past uh but uh in terms uh like my opinion of this AEW uh number that's in toronto is phenomenal the all-in number mm-hmm. is a mark on history that very few have reached especially when you take the um, aspect of non WWE shows into account. Right. I mean, this show is doing better than Wrestle Kingdom numbers at their peak. They're doing better <laughs> than WCW numbers at their peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these are numbers that haven't been seen uh, in close to thirty years. At times, uh, mm-hmm. when you when you break it down into the last fifty years, the number's not as big as you think, and so this is a huge success. And my my one of my points is and one of my main points is when we look at AEW and what Forbidden Door is and what All In is, they're good representations of what AEW is built up off of as the alternative. Right. Then when I look at this Double or Nothing card, and <laughs> the lack thereof, uh, if you will, I was going to say I noticed you hadn't mentioned the numbers for Double or Nothing. Well, they're bad. They're bad. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah. they're not good. Now I have done some research into what the state of Las Vegas is right now, and okay. the economy surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that has to do with 
inflation to an extent of ticket prices and lodgings and hotels and what Vegas is going through is an anomaly to the rest of America, where at minimum, Mm -hmm. it's four times the current inflation. And inflation is already high right now in the first place throughout the country. Yeah. And sure. Vegas yep. is Vegas is a four times amplification of that. So that's one okay. aspect to look for of why people aren't traveling there, why people can't afford to go there, because a lot of a lot of double or nothing and all outs are based on travel, not a mm-hmm. local audience. Local. If you will. Mm-hmm. Chicago I- has a bigger local audience than Las Vegas, for sure, Vegas. just by sure. Just by population standards and ease of access from other major cities in the surrounding area. Chicago has Milwaukee, Detroit, that you know, all these other cities that they can St. Louis even that people can go to mm-hmm. while Vegas is very much, well, it's in a valley. <laughs> right. Uh-oh. Turn that off for a second. Oops. Yeah. My Kenny Omega ringtone uh, is going on. <laughs> Love it. Um so I could break down more economic standards of my very brief research that I did to kind of uh, explain why there's a low number. But mm-hmm. when you look at the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL, they're struggling a little bit, but it's a team that's hot in the region and they've built in their own demographic in the region over multiple years now. Uh, maybe you can compare that to AEW as a as a company and you know AEW versus the Vegas Golden Knights situation here uh Vegas is definitely a bigger draw <laughs> than AEW yeah. yeah uh I know it's a weird comparison to make but Vegas the Golden Knights haven't had issues selling their tickets not really uh mm-hmm. for an uh, there there was a brief article that came out that there's a lot more local uh fan base in Vegas, and that's where AEW is struggling, if I am to compare the mm-hmm. two. But I also think if you have a hot, car- hot card, then you could at least get a good number in there. And this double or nothing card, which is a representation of my heat check, I don't think it's very good. We kind of have no idea what's on it other than the four pillars match, and that is not a hot program. That is a bad program, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, the video packages from this past week's Dynamite definitely helped intensify my interest in match, but, um, yeah, and the match is going to be good. Match might be great. Um, I I trust AEW and I trust those wrestlers, but (sighs) the build, but Again, we've we've said that before. We said that with Forbidden Door last year. There was no build, and then it was one of the best pay-per-views. So, well, oof, I don't know. The difference between uh, Forbidden Door and Double or Nothing is Forbidden Door was ravaged with injuries, uh, availability of outside talents to get on your shows, etc., etc., etc. A lot of different things and challenges that they had to go for. Uh, do I think, like, never bet against an AEW pay-per-view. Or a Tony Khan pay-per-view. Right. Right. There's maybe been one in its history that we haven't really fully praised. Okay? So, I'm not really worried about it from that aspect. I'm worried about kind of just the excitement level and getting people hyped and being interested in the matches in the first place. 
you know, we can all watch sure. matches in a vacuum and go, yeah, yeah, good wrestling match. That's all well mm-hmm. and good, but it's not going to do what you need it to from our perspective as fans and a business perspective as well. Right. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot to add there. <laughs> yeah. So if I, if I throw head. out these random matches on a card uh, from the Four Pillars four-way, uh-huh. yep. I don't know, a BCC versus Elite Trios match? No, no, no. That's going to be Anarchy in the Arena. Okay. I mean... Right? I mean, that's what they did last year. They can't do the, the stadium anymore. So I think Anarchy in the Arena... Um, for BCC versus Elite. Um, we did get one more match announced for Double or Nothing, but I don't remember what it was. It was... So that... It was FTR versus Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yeah. Who gives a fucking fuck? Um, I do like oh, Mark Briscoe and in his role throughout this, but that's it. I like, I like his role throughout this. Having him as the special guest referee also seems very WWE... Um, it is. It absolutely without is. Without there being so, um, I'm pulling this from a. I, this is not my idea. I heard this on one of, um, from one of the content creators that I consume, and I can't remember which one I heard it from. <laughs> but somebody suggested, um, somebody suggested that he be the special referee, but instead of just announcing it because that would be very WWE, mm-hmm. they suggested. I mean. Aubrey Edwards has kind of been Jeff Jarrett's downfall in every single match. So they're like, what if the stipulation is Aubrey can't be the ref for the match? And then they take out the other refs somehow, like get them uninvolved. And they're like, okay, who's left? Let's make it Mark Uh, Briscoe. So this is probably a good time to bring up that. um, I think he's from uh, not fight game media, but fightful Will Washington. Oh, uh, he, so yes, Fightful was his last position. Yeah, that was his last position. He was hired He's been AW. hired, uh, as part of creative and a big role, uh, to help out Tony Khan in mostly the storylines and booking of them. And I'm very I'm, curious, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what and how it's going to play out in the next coming weeks. And I like it. I like the move. It's a good move to have I'm, an outside mind that's familiar with wrestling and he's not in the yes. weeds with uh, the olds, the business. Will, yeah, the business. I'm so glad you brought. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, I've only consumed. Apparently, Will Washington has been uh, podcasting for something like 18 years, um, which seems unbelievable. But he is, I think, around 35 years old. So he started podcasting at around 17, 18 years old. Um. And I only found him recently through Fightful. Uh, He started a a little over a year ago on Fightful. And that's how I started consuming his content. Um, He started Grapsity with uh, Righteous Reg and Phil Lindsay, um, which has been a Saturday morning podcast. Um, Different perspective than I've ever consumed ever. So I loved that. Um, and Phil and Reg are still going on, and I highly recommend um, that podcast for all our listeners. But um, then he came up with some other stuff. He did a Dynamite Reaction podcast, and he's mm-hmm. been doing stuff with Denise Salcedo, and he's been doing 
a couple after shows and whatever else. And, uh, oh, then it also turns out he's from uh, my town in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a big uh, Denver Nuggets fan. Um, yeah. He's a big Nuggets fan. Um, and I've never seen, I mean, I haven't been to a ton of the, well, there's only been two big AEW shows in the Denver area. Next one's coming up in Colorado Springs in a couple of weeks, but I missed one. And at the first one, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> so it wasn't until I was at, um, I was in Chicago for all out, uh, this past summer, 2022, I ran in, into him at one of the GCW shows. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm from Aurora. And he's like, Aurora, Illinois. I was like, no, Aurora, Colorado. I just haven't run into you. And he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, since then, I've run into him a couple of times at Lucha Libre and Laughs, um, which has been great. So uh, I just love that he's like my my local <laughs> my local guy. Um, but he <clears throat> is so insightful. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of the business. I mean, he can pull up um, dates out of nowhere and like he knows every pay-per-view well. from... Who does that mind? Episode. Yeah, what does that mind yeah. and it's, way to way to bring things up sound like? It sounds like a lot lot like uh, Tony Khan. Yeah, it's bonkers. Um, and he, from what I understand, he is reporting directly to Tony Khan. Yes. He's going to be largely responsible for um, continuity in this throughout the storylines, mm-hmm. which I love. And like you said, he hasn't been, even though he's been talking about the business. For damn near two decades he hasn't been directly involved um oh he is <laughs> so, uh, swerve strickland is his first cousin by the way <laughs> oh but what is aside from that okay all right so that's um, that's kind of his but aside from that <laughs> that i'm sure that's that was something to do with making the connection but i'm sure tony already knew who he was sure. he was on the radar knows how valuable his wrestling mind is and when I heard, so uh, he announced on his Fightful podcasts um, that he was stepping away from Fightful. He was leaving Fightful. My first thought was, well, he got hired by AEW. Playing uh, um, channels out there, like amateur to professional channels. So unless he was going to WWE, I was like, he is go, you know, he got hired by something big unless he got like sports illustrated or something. That's like the only other thing I could have thought of. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hyped for him. I'm hyped for what it means for AEW. Um, a lot of the Twitter folks, um, in his first couple of weeks have been, you know, uh, jokingly saying like, Oh, that was Will's fault. Or, you know, when like this, the audio was bad or, um, these people came back and this episode was great. So that's all because of will, you know, like some of it, obviously it's tongue in cheek to support him, but some of it I think is real. I do think the will Washington effect will become more clear as he's involved in more weeks of AW. Okay. Let's use that to transition into new Japan. Now, what do you say? Let's go. Okay. Let's uh do some of this.
Okay, so New Japan. Now, full Ooh-hoo. disclosure here, neither of us have gotten uh, the time to watch uh, the Best of the Super Juniors. The first couple days have happened. I've heard really good things about the opening night and uh, in typical kind of Japanese booking fashion. Uh, a lot of upsets in the first round. Uh, big packed crowd cool. at Corken Hall. Uh, Mike Bailey apparently really impressed. Uh, Leo Rush has impressed. So you like to hear those things. Even Kevin Knight and uh, Dan Maloney have impressed in their own ways. Mm-hmm. So I'll at least get around to watching that opening night eventually. Uh, haven't heard as many good, uh, exciting things about the second night. Uh, but, you know. Okay. It's a long tournament. we got a lot to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. But the real news is coming out of Wrestling Duntaku, which we both have watched. Yes, uh, we have. Huge show. A lot of uh, a lot of young lions in the openers. Uh, basic mm-hmm. eight-man tags there. Uh, and then we got... Uh, let's see. Intergalactic Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida, and Shota Umino defeating United Empire, uh, Hanare, Akira, and TJP. We got Just Five Guys, Duki, Taichi, Kanemaru, defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Naito. And then we get to the mm-hmm. title matches, and here they here they were. Hikaleo defeats Kenta, new Japan Strong Openweight Champion crowned here. Not a good match. I thought this was pretty trash. Yeah, I had issues with this match, and I didn't realize until um, until I pulled up cage match just now, so um, I could follow along the card with you, mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't the only one who had issues with this match. Um, it was... 5-3-7... Yeah. So, no, 5-3-4 uh, on cage match. No, no, even worse. 4-3-5 yeah. four, three, four, on three, cage five. match currently. I was like, oh, that's a lower rating. That's got to be the match. No, that was one of the eight-man tags before it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will mention that so the Fukuoka Convention Center had a um, stipulation still installed for restrictions. So it was sold out at 4489. And I've heard some people comment that that's not a good number and indicative of New Japan not uh, quite not back yet. And I'm arguing against that because of how fast this show sold out to that number. And I think that's indicative that they could have got you know, maybe a thousand or two thousand more people in this building, which would have been a better idea of New Japan being back. But that's something we can speculate. Uh, I'm on the side of because they sold out so fast uh, that the company is gaining momentum back. It's fire. They got a new champion and a lot of new talent that's being pushed, which is garnering a lot of interest. And I really think the main event of Sonata and Hiromu was a good drawing factor. As soon as it, as soon as Hiromu was announced, uh, we saw a spike in interest uh, in Google Trends, mm-hmm. and I believe even before Hiromu was announced as the champion, they they were uh, or as the challenger, that Sonata simply winning the title over Okada, and him being the new guy going into Dentaku, uh, moved a lot of tickets uh, for interest. So I'm I'm definitely on the buying New Japan and Sonata stock in that regard. Now overall, yeah, go ahead. on. 
Oh, I was just going to take back maybe what I said on the last podcast about Sonata's ability to sell tickets and slash carry company and carry the title. Um, based on that alone and based on the interest in this match and the quality of that main event match. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get there, but that's that's what I wanted to get out of the way uh, business wise. Sure. Uh, then we got Zack Sabre Jr. against uh, Jeff Cobb. They did go to a 15-minute draw. I think this was well done. Uh, much more indicative of the type of match I was kind of looking forward to. Now, mm-hmm. this is every single defense now is within that 15-minute draw, and they finally got to that point. Uh, right. Would it have meant more if they didn't do that with every other match? I think so. Um, probably I didn't watch the preliminary matches that went to a time limit draw. So you mean, or you mean that his previous matches, right? His previous matches, they all went to like, 14, yeah, that's right. That's right. That kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. Um, maybe, <laughs> um, or maybe the story is. He's, he's, he's good, but every not everyone, but there are people who can equal him and can beat him. Yeah, I did like um, I did like the post match idea of Zach was uh, not satisfied with the results and they're going to do an immediate right. rematch. Yes, yes. So that saved a little bit for me. OK, could you argue this next one was match of the night? That is the Okada Ishii Tanahashi trios match against the cha- the well, used to be champions Despi, Minoru Suzuki and Ren Narita. This was so fun. This ruled. <laughs> I mean they're they're all your favorites, right? Like right. this is every you know all-star match um all-star I mean uh the Despi Ishii spots, man, I was like glued, like uh, sitting on the edge of my seat for the time that they were in the ring together. Um, it, I didn't even realize that was something I wanted to see. <laughs> and I loved it. Well, they had their New Japan Cup match last year, which was really good. Okay. And I don't remember kind of, that. Yeah, they kind of continued where they left off there. Uh, what was most striking to me was Okada against these young boys now going on. Yes. And Okada telling Ren Narita to fuck off young boy <laughs> really popped me at, yeah. at in the post-match. Um, cool. Yeah, in, incredible ending sequence. Uh, this is such a great spot for like Tanahashi and Ishii kind of winding down at the end mm-hmm. of their careers. And uh, yep. boy, it's like it's showing more and more as the months and years go by of like the state of these guys physicality. And if this is like a place for Okada to kind of be with those two guys and be in the trios champions, I think that's a great step in the right direction for where they're going to go for the time being. Um, I love it. I think I've said it before too, how much I love angry Okada. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been missing since, Kenny, really? Like, Kenny kind of took the angry out of Okada after some (laughs) point. Um, And, yeah, I I love this version of Okada. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Them as a trio, man. Yeah, 
I love it. I'm looking forward to what what more that they can do uh, with this trio. And Ishii not wanting anything to do with uh, Tanahashi kind of amuses Ooh, me as well. Yes. Uh, they kind of made up at the end of the match, but he did get <laughs> pissed. He got pissed. David Finley defeats Tamatanga, new openweight champion. Uh, 25 minutes. I, I, too I, long. I, it was I hesi- way too well, long. I hesitate to call the match good, but I was invested. And a lot of that has to do with this David Finley again. I it, like yes. a lot of these guys at the top of the card. I don't like they're not. I, I don't think they're capable of getting to the level the last generation did. But mm-hmm. with good booking and investment, I can still get behind a lot of the matches. Uh, knowing even knowing that they're not going to do fucking four and a half star plus type deals if they can get to that three seven five four to quarter like area that's more than acceptable Mm -hmm. to me and that's what this match kind of represented was i was invested i was involved uh i was i was biting on the 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 drama in the match and the physicality that david finley brings and tama was at his best here i did like you said it did go a little bit too long uh they're gonna need a lot of practice and uh experience to go that long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in new in the new japan environment and puro environment in general but uh, i really liked tamatanga getting stretchered out afterwards apparently his contract is up he's done uh if, oh. whether that's true or not i don't know but uh finley okay. regardless uh this is a bit a, a big first step in his push and i think this was the right decision um yeah i don't disagree with the decision to have win uh drama absolutely an investment for me most of the match i was invested there were i i didn't get bored that's not the right word um but i did lose interest at some point um just because i felt like it was going on a little long um but the final however many minutes definitely sucked me back in with the drama of everything going on in the ring i mean that's that's what new japan does so well is the in-ring storytelling and that definitely happened here um and i yeah and i can't see wait to see what happens with david finley next well we got that answer in the post match with a masked figure going after him and el phantasmo is here big baby face reaction the David Finley yeah. Bullet Club, don't interact with fans, be assholes, uh, is a good fresh step for the club. And uh, Finley is, look, the booking of David Finley, I think, has been handled pretty phenomenally because I was very mm-hmm. hesitant if they were going to push him straight to the top. Because when when you position a guy at his level for so long, it's going to take it's going to take something to work for a while to bring him up to the level you want to be and <laughs> him shillelaying uh, Jay White on his way out and then doing well in the New Japan Cup and getting some key wins not winning I think was an even better decision because that, esta- mm-hmm. that more or less established him as taking the next step and right. him getting him like since the open weight title is kind of the th- third place title in New Japan under the US title mm-hmm. and the heavyweight title that's a good 
that's a good middle ground step to get him further to the top. So he can have an open weight title run, uh, do well uh, and and defeat a lot of the kind of upper mid carters uh, and other people you want to push to that level, like a Ren Narita, for example. Throw that name out there. Sure. And then if if he proves himself and proves himself to us as fans that he's capable of going to a new level, a main event level, then you can get him to the U.S. title and heavyweight. Uh, that'll take time. Who knows if he'll get there, but this is a good good first step. Or I guess it would be the, the, the third step, if you will. He had the big angle. He had the big New right. Japan Cup, and now he has this. So let's see where he does from there. I, I, am, I am buying the David Finley stock, is what I'm saying. I'm with you. Um, and um, ELP as a, a first um, opponent for that title. I love it. Would you be opposed to ELP and David Finley going to like a uh, like a double DQ finish or something crazy? Um, I guess it would depend on the circumstances, but no, I'm not opposed to it or david finley um, continuing to duck elp or uh getting as good yeah. i mean that feels like a match for Domin- like ready for dominion and i could see it going either yeah. way sure yeah i could also see david finley I- just like a ref gets knocked down or something or there's mm-hmm. a distraction from someone in bullet club and he gets the shillelagh and just pummels elp in the face with it and beats him i could totally see something like that and it's a very mjf finish you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what heels do, right? So, yeah. But um, they haven't been booking David Finley like that, which is exciting. Because then when he finally does it, you go, hey, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> right. Um, this did feel very, very dark, though. Like, the, the win here was very dark. Not that he cheated to win or anything like that, but did feel like the start of something in that direction yeah he's the, the more he leans into this bullet club side uh and vicious side the more i could see him uh using a weapon as kind of a finisher uh and uh, i actually think that's exactly. a good direction for him because now they they've already yeah. set him up as someone who can win on his own but if he wants to reach right. the next level he's gonna have to cheat uh yeah. maybe yeah. that's maybe that that's some, maybe that's something We'll have to see play out. I could see a lot of people being against that idea because they like David Finley in his uh, persona currently, but who knows? Main event, Sonata defeats Hiromu, 27 and a half minutes, four and a half stars in the Observer, has an 8.31 on the cage of match. Uh, I was into this. Hiromu's incredible this year. He's a, He's got a male wrestler of the year candidacy, candidacy going for him. Oh. Uh, it took a little while for Sonata, I think, to get going. But, uh, you know, I would say the second half of this match was very indicative of uh, good drama with Sonata. I think he leaned into the whole skull end too much. But that was mm-hmm. also the story leading up to it on the oh. road to Duntaku. Sonata was okay. purposely using the skull end moonsault combo on the tour. Uh, commentary really put that over as well. And he was deliberately not using uh, what is it? What does he call it? The dead end, his little twisting DDT okay. deal. Oh yes, I forget. I forget the exact. Is that what name. it's called? I know what move you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but also commentary mentioned because I haven't been watching a ton 
New Japan and stuff, but he hasn't been using his Paradise Lock. He used it maybe in one match uh, leading up to this, too, because it was kind of a silly move, right? The Paradise Lock is right. silly. It's not indicative it's, of, it's, like, main event. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, he didn't use it here. That's the right thing. Um, this is a more serious Sonata. He's the world champ. He's not going to do those childish things. Yeah, let me um, see. Let me see if Cage Match I think has his maybe, name on here. Maybe, um, maybe the Paradise Lock will eventually be his downfall. He'll use it when he shouldn't. Um, skull End, Paradise Lock, Rounding Body Press, Tiger Suplex, Springboard Drop Kick, TKO. Nah, I didn't. Are his have signature that on there. moves? What is? His, I, I can't remember what his new, Cage match. new Deadfall. I think it's Deadfall actually. That sounds right. We'll just go with that. Yes, Deadfall <laughs> DDT. Deadfall DDT. That is correct. Okay. Um. Anyway, this was great. Um. I mean, I love Takahashi too, and you've heard me gush about how much I love him and how mm -hmm. he. I mean, Takahashi was one of the reasons that one of the wrestlers that sold me on New Japan when I first started watching. Um. So it's great to see these guys together. But um, <laughs> what? Oh, just cracking the beer and my cat like kind of woke up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh hi, Sid. <laughs> he's, he's very much uh, bothered by the can of beer being opened. <laughs> yeah. My dog doesn't like loud noises either. Did you see her get up and wander around for a little bit? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Um. I'll bring it back. Going back. Okay. The finish, the yeah, finish of back. this match I thought was uh, phenomenal because if there's one thing New Japan and Puro does well is a hot, hot, hot finishing stretch. Uh, nothing. All the near falls. Nothing mm. tends. Yeah, nothing tends to end flat. It's all. It's all very dramatic. Uh, I, I I love kicking out of big finishers when you've never seen it happen before. Harumu hitting uh, both versions of the time bomb and Sonata getting out. What does that mean yeah. for Sonata and his future? Who knows? But uh, I, I loved the ending stretch of once that time bomb two was kicked out, that was mm -hmm. we were done with Hiromu unless he busted out some crazy move. And it was it was right. that was his downfall because then Sonata got in the cold, got in the little cold skull dragon sleeper, hit him with a moonsault. Hiromu did kick out of that. Sonata couldn't believe it. And. Uh, it was a continuing trying to set up the whole deadfall and Hiromu getting out. And uh, mm. I believe, I hope I have my facts straight here, but I believe okay. Sonata hit another moonsault and Hiromu, or it was a German suplex or something wild. He hit two. He hit two moonsaults. He hit one and then went up for a second one and Hiromu got his knees up. Well, that, yeah, that was earlier. Uh, I'm, I'm no, no, like, no, no. I'm, this is towards I'm, the end. I know, I know, but it was earlier in the end. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, You're talking there about was, like, there the, was, the last like, so it was 90 like this seconds. Last, or... Yeah, yeah. There was this last sequence where Sonata hits like some big move on him that I can't remember, and Hiromu like immediately gets up, fight big fighting spirit, and then hmm. out of nowhere, you see from like the side of the camera, Sonata hits him with the with the most awesome. Uh, Shining Wizard you've ever seen, where oh. Harumu goes ass oh. over tea kettle. Even yes. commentary goes, Harumu kicked out of his boots or something, just his head's off. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And yes. then Sonata just picks his just broke ass up. 
and DDTs him yep. for the win. I'm like, what a great finish. I love that so much. That's what, like, that, that immediately brought me to, like, four and a quarter type area. Three out of three recommendation. You have to watch this. I, like, I never want to see another broken motherfucking Keiji Muto Shining Wizard ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> that Sonata Shining Wizard was everything I imagined that move being. Just going 10 feet in the air, like knee and shin in the face and neck, and the guy going going on his head on the way down. And then you can just hit whatever you want on the guy. No posing, no bullshit, just head taken off, and then you hit your move and take him home. Make him look at the lights. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I bid on every single near fall at the end of this match. Like, I didn't really think Sonata was going to lose his first defense. Um, but some of those um, kickouts were so close to three. I mean, 2.99999, like multiple 2.99 kickouts. Um, uh, yeah, everything about that ending was dramatic and exciting. And I loved it. Yeah, so we're on and the road. We yeah. know what's. I was. Well, Go I was going to say we know what's next for Sonata too. It seems. Oh yeah, he's so he does post match. Yeah, so he does the he does the whole post match thing. Uh, lights go out. His he's got his phones out. The little the little uh, uh, I forget what he calls. Is, but for the for the sake of making comedy, it's uh it's the fireflies out there. <laughs> and then right. um, Justy's about to make another announcement of some kind. Music hits, and we've seen these vignettes of like this uh, dark red and black fire and wolf or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. uh, this like hooded figure comes out, and he's just got this big evil like white smile, and it's Yota Suji, and the crowd goes, "What the fuck?" I go, "Wow, okay," because I was I, I I watched this match twice, once at work while distracted, and I see like out of the corner of my eye, like Yota Suji the hell is he doing here? I, the last time I saw him, he was on like Rev Pro or Impact or some shit. <laughs> and yeah. he's got this cool ass cape and gear. He gets in the ring. He fucking takes out the five guys, uh, overpriced burger included, and then just <laughs> whoops Sonata, stands over him, li- you know, with the title, and then does the LIJ symbol, just... And the crowd goes, whoa! <laughs> and then... My God, the balls on this company. Here we are on uh-huh. the last podcast thinking, I'm trying to think outside the box, and Shingo's going to get the Dominion match. Everyone's like, Naito this, Naito that. That's the easy choice. Well, holy hell, New Japan's booking Yoda Suji, fresh from excursion, into the main event of their second biggest show of the year. Ima- this is like, I mean, it reminds me of Okada. It's going to remind a lot of people of Okada, and because of that, mm-hmm. there's a lot of interest and speculation that Yoda Suji has a fucking chance at this thing. And because of Sonata and who he is and the champion he is, you can buy it. And that's the value in Sonata as the champion, because it's Sonata. You can see him kind of losing it at any point in time to anybody. He's not that. Crazy Okada. He's not Naito. He's not yeah. Ibushi. Do you think that, that Yoda Suji has a shot? I, okay, so I don't know. And I was hoping you would shed some light on Yoda Suji for me, which you have done. 
um, a little bit because I had to Google him mm-hmm. when I saw him show up. Um, I loved his presentation. Um, I thought it was mm-hmm. badass as fuck. Um, and I can't wait to see these guys match up because um, uh, it's just so much handsome. But um, <laughs> I've never seen. Love it. I've never seen Yoda Suji wrestle. Um, that I can recall maybe as a young lion before excursion, but I, it's not a name I remember. And obviously he wasn't presented like this previously in new Japan. No. So, um, but I think you're absolutely right about the value of Sonata as champion, because you could put someone like this that I've never heard of. It's like straight up into the title picture. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. They're presenting him like he's a big deal, so I believe he's a big deal. Oh, yeah, I totally believe he could be Sonata. So this is an instance where I do agree with... I have my gripes with the New Japan Young Lion system. I think it takes too long. I've been over this story many times. Mm-hmm. The advantage to how they book their Young Lions is they're only in openers. They're considered rookies and training and this and this and that. And before they even sniff success on the on the on the main roster, if you will, they go away and you forget about them. And depending on how they do, or the company's belief in them, or they see how they do abroad, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, I guess the current examples would be Shota Umino in the UK, Yuya mm-hmm. Uimura in his various uh, ventures, whether that's in uh, Impact Wrestling and the like or even the great Okan in the UK, when they Mm -hmm. come back and where they're slotted in that return, you get a pretty damn good idea of where they currently stand and the belief the company has in that guy. So we've seen Master Watto come back, and he's immediately in, like, geek undercard junior territory. Okay, you didn't really believe in much of him in the first place. That's okay. You got uh, Ren Narita coming back from L.A., and he's kind of mini Shibata, and he's still kind of working his way up into gaining veterans' respects, namely Okada on this very show. You got, uh, who would be another? Well, you get the idea. So to see Yoda Suji come back, much in the same vein as Okada, that's some that's some good fucking indication that this could be a fucking guy. And yeah. I, I like this only works because New Japan has this history of doing this. And if you're mm-hmm. a new fan and you've been looking and you've been looking at the last five years going, OK, uh, or at least the last three years, that'd probably be a better uh, mm-hmm. uh, year indication of like, when are we going to like get this next generation over? And this sure. in-between period of evil and uh, now Sonata and the pandemic, th- this could this could be a huge indicator of what we're going to look at uh, for, for New Japan going into the G1, going into the next year. And who the hell knows how Wrestle Kingdom is going to play out from here on out, because I got no idea. And that's very exciting to me. I love it. Um, is there anything you can tell me? About Yorosuji's uh, wrestling style. Well, I mean, thing. obviously, he's been, he's he was been... trained with the New Japan Dojo, but. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's got good size. He's got good power. He's going to have those. 
he's gonna have those moves. But in terms of like seeing him recently, I, I can't I can't say much. And that's what's exciting. Okay. Cool. I love it. I'm excited. I he's new to me, so bring it on. He's he's it. he's new to everybody, and he's gonna be in the main event of the Dominion going for the IWGP title. Let's go. Love it. <laughs> love it. So I'm going to play play some music, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the world of Dragon Gato. How about that? Awesome. I'm here for it. It's KT time! Okay, so Dragon Gate had one of their big five uh, shows of the year in Nagoya, Aichi, Aichi Gym. Uh, 2,700 people in this place, which actually uh, would eclipse their biggest attendance of 2022. So there's a success there ah, for okay, Dragon Gate yeah. and their booking, um, at least in, in, in to that extent, okay? Mm-hmm. You know I've been really down on this company for the last... I would say year and a half now, uh, which is kind of the opposite of where I stood during the pandemic with this company pushing a lot of young guys, a lot of young talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, The company's clearly struggling with money where there's veteran talent leaving and going freelance or just straight up changing companies. Uh, Naruki Doi is 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 less than making appearances. Uh, You had the retirement of Yoshino and Kness. Ata is, for all intents and purposes, now a Noah guy. Uh, they've lost main event talent. So now is the time for them to make main event talent. Uh, I've been very vocal over their excursions and getting guys abroad and their amount of being abroad. And This is going to sound like the complete opposite of New Japan, but where Dragon Gate lacks is the, I guess, voice of New Japan. Because okay. a lot of their guys struggle to get bookings abroad. Dragon Gate just doesn't have that voice. So w- with SB Kento and Fujiwara and company, they la- because that lack of voice, they don't get the reps abroad that they need. So what's the point of being away is kind of the shtick there. Wouldn't they be more value within your company and you building them up? Or do you not want them to take spots on the card? I don't know. But... This Dead or Alive show kind of indicates to me a number of different things that maybe Dragon Gate fans that are more in tune or more obsessed with the company than myself right now might have a different mm-hmm. opinion. But when it comes to SB Kento, Fujiwara, Dragon Daya, uh, Funky Jackie Kamei, and Jason Lee, these are your guys, to me, that they've established as your Bravegate division. The Dragon Kid division, if you will. Uh, I, th- I think Dragon Gate has slotted those guys incorrectly because they're smaller than whom they have at the top. Because the, th- the theme coming out of this show was they've established a new Big Six. So the previous generation of the big six was like Shima, Shingo, Yoshino, and company, okay? So they're getting the new talent over as a big six, a big marketing ploy uh, that I agree they need to do, but it's the names there that kind of strike me. The names uh, involved in this new big six 
is Madoka Kakuda, Shun Skywalker, who was in your main event. Uh, ben K, who's won the title already. Yuki Yoshioka, who's won the title already. Kota Minora, who hasn't won the title, but he's challenged a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's five I named. And Strong Machine <laughs> J, who was just in that last title defense that I wasn't really crazy about. Because Strong Machine J just doesn't have the history of, like, even singles matches, <laughs> mind you. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, Yamato is kind of left in the dirt, uh, even though he's probably one of the most winniest guys of all. Win- win- <laughs> yeah, winniest, whatever. He's 41, so, you know, he's up there in age, but he's still got a lot left of the tank. You have KZ, who is one of my favorites. He's kind of a guy I've really latched onto as a Dragon Gate fan. And he was, where was he on this card? He was in the Triangle Gate match with Big Boss Shimizu and Strong Machine J. KZ's only 36. He's got a lot of left in the tank. So, and there's some kayfabe things going on here where KZ's on Twitter and stuff saying, where the hell am I in that big six situation? That's bullshit. Uh, if they play, if they have a story around <laughs> that, I'm all for it. But as I as I did two years ago at uh, Kobe World, I poured out one for KZ because it's never going to be KZ time. Not falling for it because they bro- <laughs> they kind of broke me as a fan. Could they do something more with that? Uh, I'm sure they could. I just I'm just I just don't have the confidence when. They see he's seemingly an afterthought in this company's future. Is if that's by design, then they've definitely fooled me and they've worked me. And congratulations, because <laughs> <if laughs> you deserve go, it, <laughs> right? I like I deserve it, and that's yeah. fine. Um, no, not you. Like congratulations to the company. Like they've they've worked you. They deserve. Oh it. yeah, like, yeah, good yeah, job. yeah, yeah. In that sense, yeah, great. Uh, not you deserve to be. <laughs> yeah. <worked. laughs> Like, there's a, there's a lot of things I'm really on the fence about Dragon Gate. And Dead or Alive kept me on that fence for a while. And it's not... It, like, the new house style is definitely something to get used to when I've been watching Dragon Gate for... As long as I've been watching New Japan, essentially. It, it was just harder to get a hold of, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. yeah. Big Boss Shimizu, I've kind of come to terms that they're just not going to push this guy as something more than a comedy act. He's stuck. It would just take some tremendous pivot and booking of this guy to get him over other than where he's at. But I look up and down this Dead or Alive card, and we got we got uh, Outsiders winning the Twin Gates. We got Heel Groups winning Triangle, Great, Triangle Gates. Uh, we got... We still got sort of this weird veteran vibe throughout the show. And there's mm-hmm. just there's there's still just something missing that I can't put my finger on. And it and I think it has a lot to do with these guys just aren't over yet. And there's not a lot of there's not enough energy to their matches. It's still very much like they're on one of their biggest five shows of the year, and I'm watching the Twin Gate and the Triangle Gate match. Those are your tag and trios titles mm-hmm. and they just lack complete effort of energy especially in the beginning halves of their match and it's not just you know they're feeling each other out kind of stuff it's still a lot of guys yeah. just walking around and not really engaging anything well that's depressing like multi-man wrestling is my favorite wrestling so <laughs> 
Right. That and sucks. I like I watched the Brave Gate match and yeah, it was it was a little short. It was under 12 minutes. I wish it would have went longer and they could have cooked more and gotten more. So in that sense, it was a little disappointing. But what they were doing was fast and exciting. Jason Lee and Dragon Daya. Like when I think of Dragon Gate and I think of this new generation, I, I, I think of that. I think of a lot of like 20 year olds really going balls to the wall and running fast. Or or they build mm-hmm. up to running fast, and they're not doing that. So it's very strange to me, and it's and it's it's not what I want to see. Uh, is there enough talent there that in time they could develop and grow into these things? Sure, because a lot of a lot of these young guys haven't even performed in front of crowds to the extent that that they're used to. Sure, so much sure. of this roster debuted in the last few years. I would say half this roster is new. <laughs> Wow, yeah. But on the flip side, the same thing could be said about Stardom and a lot of their roster. Like, say what you will, but a lot of their roster has debuted in the last three to four years. Not much. Not I mean, that's essentially all of COVID. And they've had to adapt and differentiate themselves from a lot of the wrestling world and develop their own styles and let's face it, Joshi Wrestling has been in the shitter for the last 25 years. <laughs> so there's like no audience and they have to grow something from scratch. Dragon Gate, on the other hand, has had an audience of some kind for the past 20 years. There, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both sides. All right, so you've heard me talk. What about the matches? Heard me go on this diatribe about Dragon Gate. I said Jason Lee Dragon Dia was, was good. I went two out of three on that one. I say... Go out of your way to watch that. I, I enjoyed that. There was a moment uh, where Mochizuki Jr. in an eight-man tag near the opener got injured. So, fingers crossed for that guy. Uh, Naruki Doi and Ultimo Dragon defeated Zebrats. That's uh, Diamante and Kyo. Are they building to an Ultimo Dragon-Diamante match at this point? I don't, I don't even know at this point. It's probably going to take place in Mexico. Who cares? Uh, triangle Gate match was <laughs> Ben K, BB Hulk, Kota Minora of Gold Class defeating Natural Vibes, Shimizu, Keizy, and Strong Machine J, two people named as part of the Big Six. I think this match was fine, but it failed to live up to that energy that I was talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Heel team wins, and I look, or actually three guys, because Ben K is part of that group. Uh, uh, 13 minutes. Uh, that's followed by Dragon Kid and Noah's Naomichi, Naomichi Marufuji defeating Yamato and Yuki Yoshioka, seeing Yoshioka get pinned by the veteran, which I found interesting. So a former champion. Uh, if that sets up Marufuji for a Dreamgate match, I'm not really excited for that, but I guess that's something. Uh, they did a little comedy match afterwards with Ishikawa. And the Twin Gate match was the semi-main event. That was Keno and Noah's Keno and freelancer Shuji Kondo, guy who doesn't take falls. Uh, I'm kind of over Shuji Kondo. If you're not going to, like, push this guy as something of a threat, then, well, that's probably the wrong phrase. But, you know what? I don't have the right words to describe how I feel about Shuji Kondo, so I'll just kind of gloss over that. Fair. Um... This was against Kayan Ishin. So Ishin Ahashi now has gained a little weight. He looks a little pudgy, but also in shape. He's got facial hair, so he's like straight up grimy guy, which is good for his role. 
mm-hmm. it was a lot of the two vet guys beating him up and Kai putting it. It felt like Kai was put in half effort. It was a lot of heels would stand around, get kicked or lariated by Keno and Kondo. And it went like 11 minutes. It was so short and slow paced. I didn't like this match very much. And that was your semi-main event. But the main event is the thing everyone's talking about. It has an 8.36 on cage match, 32 votes. It's Shun Skywalker defending the title against Madoka Kakuta. So I'm going to give you the okay. whole story, Ricky. I'm listening. Okay. I am listening. Because that's what this was, This entire match was. It was about the story. And Dragon Gate okay. is all about stories a lot of the times. Faction cool. warfare, uh, uh, characters coming into play, all kinds of things. So two years ago, Shun Skywalker, big baby face, came back, won the title. He's against a heel... Madoka Kakuda, at then known as Hip Hop Kakuda. He's like 20 years old, heel, like two minutes in the match, Shun gives him a drop toe hold, very basic, and he blows out his shoulder. Madoka Kakuda cannot continue. It's like a devastating thing. Uh, cut to a year later at Dead or Alive, so you see the theme here, mm-hmm. he returns. And he ends up joining... Uh, the big baby face group called uh, Decourage with Yoshi- Yuki Yoshioka and Dragon Daya. And he comes to his own there and he builds himself back up. And the crowd's getting behind the guy. The guy's t- big. He's tall, especially compared to the Dragon Gate mm-hmm. roster. He's got good size and power to him. I just think he looks like yeah. a weird dork. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's got a big fat ass. So maybe you'd, li- maybe you'd like him, Ricky, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not you'd so be, much of a butt person. Oh, but. uh, I think you'd be a butt person <laughs> when you see this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's back from a shoulder injury, builds himself up. And in the means, during this time, Shun Skywalker has gone crazy. He's nuts. He's insane. You've heard me talk about uh-huh. how I don't like his matches. He's a crazy guy that has this weird cackle and he walks around and saunters and laughs some more. His matches are slow, uninteresting, and then they do the whole heel stick pile of chairs and stuff it's i don't like him the first i would say 17 minutes of that minutes of this match was a lot of that with the i think an overemphasis on the arm of kakuda because they went back to the drop toe hold he laughs at the guy there he stays down on the ground a little too long so the crowd's kind of worried and <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I immediately just go, okay, so this is what they're going to tell. They're going to go back to the arm, which I think on the tours, they should have just kept telling that story that maybe his arm isn't 100% healed rather than in this one match, they just go to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm being a little too harsh in my critique. Look, I get the story that they went with. His shoulder blew out two years ago. Shun works the arm. And Kakuda comes back and fires back and fights back eventually with the arm. And that's how he puts him away with three big rolling lariats and pins him. Okay. New champion, young guy, 23 years old, fastest to the dream gate. Uh, there's, I think the youngest at this point as well. So there's a lot of positives. Okay. To Kakuda winning the title. Uh, especially over Shun Skywalker and his heel run, which I've absolutely not liked. Okay. 
Mm -hmm. So a fresh champion without this goofy, like I keep calling him Venom. (laughs) Shun Skywalker (laughs) dresses like Venom. He acts like Venom. It wouldn't shock me if he came okay. out and goes, oh, yeah, he based his whole persona off Venom. But the match, oh. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'd, I'd be so curious if you watch this match, knowing <laughs> the whole story, if you either felt the same or you just go, wow, I was super into it because of the storytelling. Because dra- <laughs> from my feeling, Dragon Gate, from my from what I've seen and heard, Dragon Gate fans are really into this. And I just okay. don't understand why I'm not. When I get the story, I get the character work. I think mm-hmm. a, I think a lot of the work in the match was good, but I was never invested. I was never interested. And honestly, I think Madoka Kakuda's moves are kind of lame. Oh, he's still very one dimensional in a lot of his moves, and that's kind of the. I got the I got a similar feeling with Yuki Yoshioka, but his matches peaked higher. I just haven't got okay. that with Kakuda. It's it's a very strange place to be, I will admit. So what's next for Dragon Gate? They're not doing King of Gate before Kobe World. Uh they got mm-hmm. about a m- two months before Kobe World. That's their biggest show of the year. Uh, I like the move of not having King of Gate because then they can really book anybody into mm-hmm. uh, the big main event spot. Uh, much like how New Japan has just bounced, the, uh, rolled the ball with Yoda Suji. So I am interested in where Dragon Gate's going, but mm-hmm. I still need to see this talent kind of break out of their shell a lot more. I'm like waiting for that moment where they where they all just grab something. And fully get with like what is being a wrestler to an audience. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm. That's Dragon Gate. Here That's my thoughts. Yeah. All right. I don't have anything to add, but Well, you listen to me talk long enough, so <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm just I'm just so I'm I'm fascinated about your your feelings on Shun Skywalker because a little that I've seen of him uh, I watched him in Black Label Pro before mm-hmm. um, before they switched off IWTV, and now they're on Fight, which I don't pay for. <laughs> um, I I enjoyed him, but I, obviously it's probably a different level of opponent. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the Indies were a good indication of what is a Shun Skywalker at this point in time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not probably the same Shun Skywalker that you're seeing. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for that next step to be taken with this company. Uh mm-hmm. I feel like they're on the verge of doing something good again, <coughs> but right now's not it. Not yet. Uh cuz <laughs> when it when it's not New Japan time, I'm I'm all in the Dragon Gate time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, as for like things like CMLL and uh, All Japan and all these other companies, haven't had the time. Uh, to me, they're not doing much of interest for me personally, but uh, I'm mm-hmm. still keeping an eye on them to see if uh, something kind of breaks out here and there. Okay. Yep. I hear you. And that's it, Ricky. That's a podcast right. for you and I. Yeah. Man, we did it. We did it. 
I will see you next time. Hey, all right, everybody. Golden Week is in the books. And boy, do we got Joshi Wrestling to talk about. Not just TJPW and Stardom today. We're kind of going across the indies. Going over their quote-unquote biggest shows and biggest matches they could put on. And much like the theme of what we're seeing in New Japan and All Japan and the like, and Dragon Gate especially, uh, it's young talent going over, which you love to see. So, first off, uh, by that music, uh, we're going to go into Miyuki Takase, but I do have to say that uh, this will be it for the podcast uh, for this episode, is the Joshi section. Uh, taking a break from the retro for now. Uh, I believe it will be back next time. Just uh, just short on time here, but uh, regardless, so you'll just have to be a little bit more patient for Starcade 99 and uh, the All Japan Women. Um, but it was a lot of me catching up on Stardom House shows, uh, st- <laughs> two big Stardom show, big Stardom shows. TGPW had a uh, Cork and Hall. Diana had a Cork and Hall. Marvelous had a Cork and Hall. Gato Move was at Shinjuku Face because that's uh, about all they can draw. But let's begin with Gato Move. They had a- an event. Uh, that was a crossover with Deadlock Pro. And over the last year, you know, we've seen Takase and Emi Sakura kind of kick it up in the Carolina. <laughs> Having some singles matches, Miyu Yamashita hanging out there, Maya Yukihi made an appearance. Well, they did a two-day crossover event at Shinjuku Face. Uh, neither show capped 300, so it's not making making the list, doesn't make the cut. Uh, which is kind of an indicator of, I guess, uh, the people involved and just what Gato Move is truly capable of drawing uh, with the talent. Uh, but regardless of the, the facts and opinions surrounding that matter, a uh, few matches kind of, or at least a couple, in my mind, is worth checking out. And that's the Mesa Arisa Endo match, which was nine minutes. That was a nice little, nice little singles there. And the main event which was Emi Sakura uh, defending the DPW title against Miyuki Takase in just under 19 minutes. Uh, it began a uh, little shtick heavy, a little house house show heavy that Takase has le- leaned into more and more on her freelance run. But we got full AEW Emi Sakura here with uh, hard chops, and that's right up. Yuki Takase's uh, strong singles match alley, where they just met each other in the ring and did a lot of that. I could have done without a lot of the like goofiness outside. Once they got to business inside those ropes, uh, that's where I really started to enjoy uh, the match. And I ended up going full three just at kind of four stars range there because of the physicality and how they brought it and uh the bigger point i think to mention is uh why do we continue have to wait so long for miyuki takase matches like this uh it's it's probably a number of different answers between her availability 
and probably easier to get bookings in under and mid cards and like tags and the like. But ultimately, it goes into a lot of my examples of the indie scene not running enough because they're broke and not taking advantage of trying to push new talent and heating up talent. It's a lot of random booking, uh, indie booking, if you will, uh, without much for storytelling, if any at all, and not probably properly utilizing a lot of the talent. It's it's still so much reliant on the past generation, and we saw at least signs of hope, <laughs> I guess, over Golden Week, where all of these companies are trying to take advantage of the big holiday and getting as many people as they can to probably their biggest show, uh, maybe of the year. Um, but yeah, full three on Takase Emi Sakura. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Emi did retain, and a big, big singles match for Takase. I think it's only her second one uh, since the Catch the Wave final that she just uh, happenstanced into against Suzu Suzuki. We move on to Marvelous, which had their cork and hall. Uh, not, you know, they don't announce their attendance much like Sendai. That's very much off the radar for a lot of people. But uh, this was the big Chikayo Nagashima defense against Mio Momono. Uh, just under that was Takumi Aroha defeating Unagi Sayaka, which was a, a nice little physical match, but more overshadowed by the big. Uh, Mayumi Ozaki and Ozaki-gun invasion, I guess, and beating Iroha to a bloody pulp. And that that really took away a lot of the headlines from this marvelous show, and it it really looks like that's going to be the focus of the promotion, while Mio Momono, Maria, and company go abroad to the Queen of the Indies, in which Mio Momono and... um, uh, What's-her-face? Masha Slamovich had a... Very good singles match. Good solid two out of three action there. Um, but <laughs> Ozaki and stinking up the joint, uh, uh, Ozaki-goon aside, um, this Mio momono uh, Chikayo match was very good. Uh, it's You could definitely argue it's the best uh, non-stardom women's match this year. Uh, I still wouldn't put it above Charlotte Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. If I'm going to be honest, but this this had a lot to like about it. I did uh, think Chikayo leans too much into the whole 2000s, 2010s brawl to the outside, smack someone on the west sign, and then brawl some more, and a lot of just pummeling single down offense uh, that went on too long. I mean, the match was 26 minutes. It was it was not a short match. And so there, there definitely felt like there was a lot of time filler there. However, once they got going into a Mio Momono offensive period, they did uh, garner a lot of near falls, a lot of drama, and it led into some really big moves and big kickouts that really, really got, got me engaged. And the Mio Momono code red at the end to win the 3AW title, <laughs> comically large on this woman, uh, is is good. This is a good move, and now Marvelous has a strong, strong main event match that they, they can build to with Takumi Oroha going after the title that she had to vacate uh, against Mio Momono. Uh, I would book that immediately for your next Cor- Corican, and 
I mean, you can do two options there. You can have Mio simply lose to Aroha and chase it back, or you could just have her beat her and really cement Mio Momono as a main eventer for this promotion. Because let's not forget, Mio Momono, in the lead-up to this match, lost just about every single match she could. Whether that was the tags leading up to Chikayo, where she's getting pinned, or her trial series, where they treated her like a rookie, and she got beat by everyone imaginable, from Chihiro to Karu Ito. So, God help us if that leads to, like, Tomoko Watanabe or Kairi Ito challenging Mio Momono for this thing, but if it's if I have any indication over how uh, Nagayo or Mako Satomura uh, books, it's we probably won't see another defense for many months. Many, many months, and then it kind of won't matter. But it's not like Marvelous is running a lot anyways. Uh, this was an emotional win for her and many Mio Momono fans. Uh, and honestly, despite the lack of booking, uh, I do like the move. I, I do like the final pulling of the trigger of a young talent that you can raise to the top of the promotion. Uh, I, I do like the definitive win over a veteran and Chikao Nagashima still has a lot in the tank. You know, she's not, she's not like Akino or a lower level, uh, Sato, or someone who's immobile like a Miami Ozaki, uh, or some grumpy veteran that's going to kick out at three, or just book a three-way, and then she just kind of fucks off to, to the outside of the ring, and you pin the other person. You know, this was a definitive one-on-one -on -one win, where we crowned a new young talent to go over a veteran, and there's a lot that they can work with here, and if I'm mar marvelous, I'm avoiding most of the veteran talent in that age bracket. I'd 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 book the Takumi Aroha match. I'd take advantage of some of the freelancers that's available. I'd book a Maria match like they did in West Coast Pro. I'd really try to highlight more young talent getting shots uh, and uh, then get some talent that's willing to do business like a Maya Yuki or Ryo Mizunami if they're willing to do it. If not, then tell them to fuck off. And do matches that you can build people up with. That's that's my take on that. So good good job for Mio Momono. Uh, I went full three. Uh, you know, four stars, four and a quarter there. I did think it was better than the Emi Sakura Takase match. And we go to Diana. Oh, the Marvelous. Uh, I Marvelous attendance. I kind of estimated that around the 500, 550 mark uh, based on the setup. Uh, and then we moved to Diana, which announced a 726 number at Corken Hall. Uh, <laughs> well, Unagi's in the mid-card again, not the semi-main, but she's losing to Kyoko Inoue in 14 minutes. So we see where, uh, we see where Unagi Sayaka has really slotted into the, uh, well, indie scene here. Um, their semi-main event was an absurdly terrible Jagger Yokota three-way against Kazuki and Megumi Yabashita. Nine minutes. It could not believe my eyes, but regardless, um, Jaguar Yakota's hitting Poison Ron is in 2023, and it's wacky. But the main event is the focus here. Haruko Masaki defeating Ayaka Sato, 25 minutes. Uh, I, I spoke briefly on the Patreon, on the Pure J podcast, over my feelings of Ayaka Sato and the Hanako Nakamori match. Uh, eventually, we'll get to see that uh, through and through when the DVD arrives. But in terms of this one, 
Haruka Omasaki, you would think she had won this title years and years ago. <laughs> uh, but Aika Sato is really the, the multi-time champion. You got um, uh, Asuka Veni, Sari won it a couple times because she is a Diana uh, Dojo original. Uh, you got, uh, who else? I think Nozaki won this for a period of time. I think before she blew out her knee. Uh, but Haruko Masaki's been kind of their prized pupil since Saray, Sari. And this was her more or less crowning moment. And I gotta say, this match very much sucked. I thought it was very dull, very boring. And it's very strange because... When I look at someone like a, um, I guess it'd be uh, Miran, who's like fucking 13, and she's doing moonsaults and stuff in the ring in the uh, the Captain's Fall opener, and Hanaka Nakamori and, and Takase are involved in that, I see a lot more promise out of her, kind of like how I originally saw Umasaki. Umasaki really needs to develop a larger variety of her offense. She's got good forearms, a nice little German suplex, got some drop kicks, but there's not much to her. She doesn't bust out anything new ever. It's very she's very one-dimensional. And then on the other hand, you have Ayaka Sato who's a, who was apparently working through a a bum knee, but you'd never really know. You just think, well, she's Ayaka Sato. She's not going to be an exciting main event wrestler. Never has been. She's got her little dinner plate gimmick that she likes whacking without the comedy of Mesa Ruga and TJPW. And this match was a lot of just limb work, feeling each other out, and it never really developed into another gear to keep you involved. And the finish wasn't all that hot either. They kind of had one near fall that was interesting, but that's about it. Uh, So for... Like, I, I do not view... Like a marvelous title, a Sendai title, especially a Diana title in high regards. I consider them nice little indie titles that can highlight something for a promotion. But in terms of like a world title, top of the Joshi world, top of the women's wrestling world, not even, not even close. The TJPW title is like second place to me in terms of outside stardom. Uh, So I do not recommend this match at all. Uh, I think the Diana number is a little bit flubbed based on their setup. It was very similar to the Marvelous uh, setup and the Oz Academy setup that you can kind of point to. Um, I don't think it's far off from the real number, uh, but I do think that they still embellish these things from time to time. And then, what else do I got? I have... Uh, well, if you want to hear more Pure J, that would be on the Patreon. Uh, Catch the Wave started. Do not recommend anything from that. Uh, that's a great example of I'm not falling for it again. Uh, Wave is, Wave is an after, afterthought on this podcast. Uh, until Nagisa Nozaki comes back or they have a match that gets some buzz. Uh, we'll not be checking more of Catch the Wave out probably until the finals. Uh, Ice Ribbon ran a show uh, under 300 people of Totoro defeating Ibuki Hoshi. Uh, so they already blew that match away, and Ibuki lost. Um, that's 
That's about what I expect out of Ice Ribbon these days, and it gets zero buzz, zero notification in the Joshi fandom. Um, you know, if it's if it's not basically if it's not Stardom or TJPW, it'll take some big title change in the indie promotion for people to start talking about it. Because, you know, when you look at the numbers here, Oz Academy's number three, and nobody talks about Oz Academy uh, ever. Because uh, it's not interesting, they have their own unique niche fan base, even domestically. But they are the number three right now, uh, and by a considerable margin, and by a considerable margin underneath TJPW, it's 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 not close. Uh, does Oz Academy embellish their numbers? Absolutely, but for all intents and purposes, if you look across the scene right now, the ones that are doing uh, consistently higher on a like a quarterly basis it's the ones with the veterans of the 90s uh still frequenting Oz Academy Miami Zaki and Company Diana Kyoko Enoe and Company um Seedlings run like four shows this entire year so that's uh that's where they stand but that's Ari Sanakajima's joint with two wrestlers with her they're going through their rough times it doesn't leave a whole lot uh, to get notified and excited about. Uh, now, there is uh, Sariism, a little produce show that she's doing. She, um, I think she's sold out Shinjuku Face, whatever that means. If it means close to 500, then more power to her. I'm going to look at it the same as uh, Nomads. You're going to do your produce show, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Good for you, I guess, but one-off matches, I, I, you know... I'm sure some matches will be good, but in terms of investment and what it means for the future, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, it's kind of pointing to me that uh, Sari and Hashimoto in the main event are, uh, I, I mean, it's more likely it's going to go to a time draw that, than Hashimoto gets pinned by Sari straight up, and that leads to anything. But in terms of Sari on the indie scene, it remain it remains to be seen. Is she going to just kind of hang back and do more indie produce one shots or is she going to inject life into the scene? And by that, you know, is she going to be willing to do business in main events? Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, for all we know, she she could and the scene's going to book her like uh, like she was in 2018 where she's winning all these, uh, you know, Diana titles, Sendai titles and the like. And uh, who knows what happens after that. Uh, the thing is, we've kind of seen that already. Um, you know, I kind of I have this bad feeling that she's just going to become like what Mizunami and Hiroyo Matsumoto have been doing the last eight years or so. Is they're going to they're going to dick around in, in tags and then occasionally get a main event. Ugh, it's kind of a bummer, but... Uh... Maybe I'll talk about TJPW now. Here we go. TJPW. Boy, oh boy, you're getting news in all the wrong places. 
amazing how that works out. Uh, I'm worried for their future. And with the announcement that Yuka Sakazaki is leaving the promotion at the end of the year, moving to the United States, I made this prediction uh, a year ago that she would be doing this. And uh, so I'm a year off, but, you know, uh, this this is what I've been afraid of is the booking of TJPW uh, with the same core, you know, three, four if you want to be nice with uh, Rika Tatsumi, but the core three, uh, Miyu Yamashita and Yuka Sakazaki have been at the top for a decade with very little rivals to call equals at the top. You know, it's okay to cycle talent in and out, and they just really haven't done that, and it's been stale for a number of years. And they, and by the, and uh, I stand by this. By the time Mizuki got put over to be at that level, it was too late. Now, does that reflect in the attendance? Well, during Golden Week, the big Golden Week bump, TJPW got seven hundred and seventy-four people to this Cork and Hall show. And that is their largest attendance uh, outside of their kind of um, Grand Princess and Summer Sun. It's the largest Cork and Hall in, in, in uh, I think it's before the pandemic, right? Uh, January 2020, where they got that 1400. Um, so, you know, uh, throughout all the promotions, we saw uh, Joshi promotions, we saw about 100 to 200 people bump. Uh, that they'd normally get inside Golden Week. Uh, so I'm going to chalk that up to a kind of a nice little win in a way. Uh, is that indicative of what they're going to do going forward? I think it remains to be seen. I'm more on the selling stock side than buying it, especially with this announcement of Yuka Zakazaki leaving. And now with you know Miyu Yamashita and Maki Ito continuing to do uh, tours abroad, uh, I think it's a matter of time before both Miyu and Maki uh, also, quote-unquote, graduate from TJPW. So this is what I'm talking about. You need to put over talent strong, the talent that's going to stay. And the more you start announcing these things, the less they're going to mean when they leave. You know, I go, I go back to that Takeshita, you know, leaving Mark. His last thing was putting over Endo, and then he went away. And now, now he's gonna. Now, whenever he comes back, he's a special attraction. They don't really do much with him, right? What you can do with Yuka Sakazaki is now you just say, "Hey, you're leaving the territory. You're gonna put over Miyu Watanabe. You're gonna put over uh, Yuki Arai. You're gonna put over whomever." You know, anyone that you see relevant that could be at the top, Arisa Endo, Hikari Noah, I don't care. She needs to be in meaningful programs, and the first person that beats her, if they do this, it's going to mean the most. And that's got to be Miyu Watanabe. And I'm not even a fan of hers, but she is clearly uh, uh, trademarked to be at the top, not just by the fans, but that's really who looks like has the best shot right now of getting there. Will they do that? I don't know. For all I know, they could do music key against Choco and Rika forever, <laughs> you know? 
uh, I you know I don't have a crystal ball for these things, but um, we got our annual Tetsuya Koda saying the new generation is going to step up. We got all this talent, and then insert name that he thinks could be there. You know he does he does this all the time. But you need to put over these people strong and put them in programs and beat people. You know if they're not going to be in this promotion much longer, even if it's inside a year, you got plenty of time to do stuff with them. I just don't have the confidence that that's the route they're going to make. There's no history of that with the booker or the promotion. So I'm giving the flowers with the uh, attendance uh, for now. I'm giving the flowers to Mizuki and putting on a what a wacky main event against Sori Wreck. Uh, very strange. Uh, about as good as it could have been. Uh, I actually expected worse, but look, big, tall, scary Gaijin in Japan works, you know, 99% of the time. So history was on the side and Mizuki bumped her ass off for this woman. So good job there. Big thumbs up. Nice little one out of three match. Uh, I think the match that stole the show was the Miyo Watanabe Arisa Endo match, which was just under 14 minutes. Uh, great submission game. Look, for as much as I dislike Miyo Watanabe and her character and demeanor, she knows how to put a match together strong. Or whomever the agent is involved, or whomever's giving her advice, whatever the case, her matches hit quite a lot. Uh, now, is, do I think she's like a three and a half star general? I do. <laughs> I still have yet to see something that's like truly great out of the woman. But there's plenty of time for that. When I watch uh, Miyu against Arisa Endo, I think both these two need to be pushed higher immediately rather than be in a mid-card situation like this because they've definitely earned the trust to go higher. So there's your two people I'd put over immediately. Uh, The Shoko Yuka against Maki and Yuki Rai match was was fine. Eh, A little on the long side, 16 minutes, but that's okay. Did enjoy it, but here, here, there's again. Yuki Rai's like anniversary match and Yuka's leaving. I, she's teaming with Maki Ito. Would this have been a good time for her to just pin Maki in a tag or something or, you know, continue that story? Because if Maki Ito's leaving and she's always been booked at a lo- as a loser, then maybe they should have played on that story a little bit more or do. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of mixed minded on on the results of that. But uh Rika Tatsumi Suzume. Look, I like Rika Tatsumi matches. They land with me very well. This was no different. I think I went two out of three on this one against Suzume. Uh, Suzume and her, like, sci-fi future puffy floaties. This 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 woman needs new, new gear help. <laughs> Desperately. So, when I read online and read chatter that... TJPW is fine. They got the talent. It's like, okay, no one's arguing that they don't have a nice little roster. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting young talents that could possibly be on top. But the more time that goes on in 2023, I I think there's going to be an exposed uh, nature here where the main event's gone and the talent's not quite there to take over yet. And they're not over themselves. We're kind of seeing the... um, the results of that in Dragon Gate 
except Dragon Gate tried to take the time to put talent over the veterans while they still could. Uh, that's why I'm really emphasizing a lot of these programs that need to be developed to get this talent over. Yuka, Miyu, Maki, and company uh, that I think are, are leaving imminently uh, uh, should be putting these people over. Will they do that? Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> Let's just say I'm not buying stock on the matter. That's that's what should happen. Uh, and and speaking of just kind of booking uh, uh, philosophies here, uh, Ryu Mizunami in this promotion is like, what are we doing? She comes in, she has nice little singles matches, beats your roster, and then she fucks off to the netherworld of the Joshi Indies. I I, it's it's kind of like that Hikaru Shida match against Noah, where she just put her in the dirt, look at the lights, and then see ya, I'm off to AEW. Mizunami. It, would it kill them to book her against Mizuki and Mizuki wins or book someone that's actually going to get a big singles victory uh, over her at a Russell princess or summer sun or something of the like, because these singles matches just don't lead to anything. They're just filler. I mean, it's nice filler, but this is a promotion I expect more out of and being the number two, Let's do something more interesting than just random one-offs. Uh, I already said that about the a lot of the foreign talent that comes in and has a match or two and then leaves, and then you introduce someone else again, and they're kind of taking up those spots. But maybe that's the strategy, because when your main event's gone you and you have to fill in the gap somehow, your mid-card is, is very absent, and it's very noticeable uh, throughout uh, what we're seeing from TJPW. Uh, the mid card's going to struggle a lot, and you know, it, unless your main event is super strong, you have to rely on a strong mid card to kind of carry the weight. And if these Mizuki defenses uh, either grow stale or they're not hitting like they should, uh, I guess Rika Tatsumi, you have someone to rely on there, so they they at least have a backup plan for some of these. But in terms of like what we're seeing going forward, uh, it's a lot of rookies mucking up these uh, undercards. And it doesn't leave a whole lot to be desired for uh, uh, strong, uh, strength in mid-card. Could that just be where Mio Watanabe ends up? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of worried in that regard. So that's TJPW. Uh, we'll keep an eye on them for how they're going to perform in the coming months and going into uh I guess it's summer sun uh we'll we'll get some we'll get some interesting developments as uh, more matches are announced, more programs are announced and what we see going forward. Uh look, time for stardom. Let's go, right? Okay, everybody. Yeah, I gotta play Micah's music. Uh, the, this woman with the red hair, uh, she's hitting right now. And uh, boy, do I want to play that Mina Shirakawa music, but I gotta play my favorite wrestler in stardom. 
but uh, boy, I, I like the Mina Shirakawa train. Everyone's joined on with me. Uh, it's it's amazing to see. Um, I got my match ratings here from Stardom because I did uh, catch up on a lot of the house shows. Uh, and a lot of things, a lot of things are hitting right now, which is, which is great to see. So I've, uh, somehow I missed a, uh, trios title match back in like <laughs> April, uh, where it was prominence against, uh, Queens quest in which Suzu Suzuki pinned Utami. Uh, I'm, I'm talking, I, I don't know what happened with me on that one, but I'm talking like four and a half stars, full three region there. Uh, vastly enjoyed that. If I look to other uh, kind of house show stuff, uh, even though I gave like a lot of ones and two out of three wrecks, like uh, the stuff with Queen's Quest and God's Eye in terms of like Mirai and Ami Soray, uh, anything involving Suzu Suzuki and May Sarah has been hitting on what they're doing and the multiple builds between Cosmic Angels and Club Venus, uh, whether that's uh, Maria May. Uh, doing her thing, Sari Ano, uh, getting involved with uh, like Kyrie and company and Julia. Uh, there's Mina Shirakawa. There's Mina and the build to the Natsupoi match that we saw, mixing in what's eventually going to be the double title match against Tam Nakano. Which uh, you know, I'll get I'll get to that those thoughts in a bit. Um, but let me uh, let me go back to some here. We got uh, let's see. There's Stardom Nagoya. There's um, the show we're gonna talk about. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There was eh. no. That's going back a little too far to talk about. But um, you know, Micah Himika against Julia and Shuri. Uh, that was back in April. That was good. There's a lot. There's a lot good going on in, in in stardom in terms of like output and keeping it within the roster and building. And so this uh, Fukuoka Goddess Festival show and then New Blood Eight uh, really invoked a lot of confidence in where I think uh, stardom is heading for the foreseeable future. Uh, in terms of Fukuoka Goddess Festival, thirteen thirty eight in attendance. Uh, for a year-over-year -year increase, uh, so 1156 uh, at the International Center was last year, uh, with a very comparable card with tag titles on the line and uh, wonder title defense with Sayakamatani. So it's not, um, it's not quite the big increase year-over-year -year that we're used to seeing from Stardom, and perhaps there's some... Uh, Golden Week clashing going on there with so much wrestling to go to and whatnot. Or uh, it's very, uh, very simply a just a nice little increase and a good testament to whom they're building up for these shows and how. And the people I've really focused on is Tam Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, and Micah along with uh, whatever is going on in Queen's Quest. Uh, they're building up a lot of a lot of things well uh, regarding kind of the new talent uh, that looks like it's going to be a focus for the rest of 2023. 
Um, as it stands right now, I don't feel that uh, Tam Nakano is going to lose this thing before the five star. There's always still a chance. Never count the hat man out. But uh, Mina Shirakawa? You know, this the, the, the Mirai challenge seems to be in the distance, and I'm really getting the feeling they want to put Mirai in the red belt situation at some point here this summer. I don't see her challenging for the white belt, unless they want to stick with tradition. So, let's get into this card. 1338 in attendance, like I said, we had a pre-show a rumble. You know Suzu is going to win. Uh, Suzu is more or less signed with stardom. As, uh, you know, we get a lot of the things I was talking about the last podcast where the money's flowing and uh, looks like the freelancer uh, uh, frenzy is done. And with the retirement of Himika, which seemed to have gone over well at Corkin on this day with a full packed house of 1500 plus. I uh, love to see that, you know, there's spots open. So, May Sarah, Suzu Suzuki, uh, Konami looks like she's back. Uh, they're they're definitely investing in themselves. And uh, to throw more to throw more kind of critique at TJPW, uh, I mean, they seem profitable, but all you hear is talent leaving. And yes, there's rookies debuting, but there's also rookies debuting in other companies. You know, where where's the investment in TJPW? Because I just don't see it. Um, but sticking on stardom here, um, Hanan, Mayu Itani defeat Club Venus, Jesse and Maria May. Uh, Sariano and Tam Nakano defeat the Ruwaka Starlight Kid tom- combo. Uh, Momo and Tora defeat Konami and Shuri in seven minutes, which, uh, look kind of felt like one of these two tag teams were going to do something, maybe three. You got the feeling that you didn't, you know, I didn't really feel Sauriano and Tam Nakano were going to challenge for the tag titles, so that led to Mayu and Hanan or Momo and Tora being those challengers, because that's what these beginning matches really felt like. We're building to something, we don't know who though. And the match really, this match in particular, really focused on a lot of Momo Watanabe in the ring and Tora's her little helper minion. Okay. Uh, Tora stinks. I, I, I just don't think she has it. But if she's in a tag team with Momo Watanabe and she's a helper, then, you know, me getting five to ten minute singles action of Momo Watanabe against the people like Shuri or Konami, I'm all for it. That's what we got here. Uh, this was ac- the, the at least that in terms was excellent. I really enjoyed that. And then we got to a big time match here. I went full three on this sucker. It's Julia and Micah, Crazy Bloom, defeating the Can They Coexist Sai Kamatani and Utami Hayashida. 16 and a half minutes. Uh, Micah was on something in this match. She has found a new level of confidence. She's in her hometown. Uh, they went the full time. Uh, Micah just definitively pinning rival Utami, looking at the lights with that Michinoku driver. She's hitting big lariats. She's putting Sai Kamatani away. Julia was in there to play kind of the backup and give Micah a lot of the spotlight, which I thought was a brilliant match format. And Utami taking another pinfall makes it really seem like something's in the works with QQ. 
could that mean, I mean, seeing that Saya dyed her hair uh, red, I believe, and there's a lot of other people with red hair. <laughs> could there be something there? Guess we'll find out in time. But we got some movement happening uh, behind the scenes, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I love this match. Uh, Julia being kind of a kind of oh, how do I put it? A um, I mean, she's more or less a heel, but Micah was also like just sitting on Utami long after the pin, pushes the ref, and then demands he raises her hand. Uh, this feels like if Micah's not going for a big singles title, this feels like a big time tag team. That's going to go forward. Uh, it would not shock me personally if Crazy Bloom here is going to take those tag titles from the new eras at some point down the line. Uh, it, really, it really definitely feels like they're gaining some momentum, especially Micah. Uh, Azumi Maysara, 10 minutes. Uh, high speed. You know, it was a high speed match. It's going to have a ceiling unless they do some crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, I expected Maysara to somehow win this, but Azumi continues Continues on with her nice little junior title here. Uh, match was pretty good. I went two out of three. I've really enjoyed a lot of what Maysara has to offer. Uh, I think she's fitting in nicely. Saki Kashiba comes out and, uh, you know, now it's a three-way with Fukigen Death at uh, the next pay-per-view. God's Eye, the new era's Amisore and Mirai defeat... FWC, Hazuki, and Koguma, 17 and a half minutes. This ruled too. Uh, I went full three on this. Um, I don't think it's as good as the DDMQQ match that preceded it, but this is the tag team title matches that I've missed so much from 2020. Uh, well, one, from what, I, what we did get to see of the Julia and Shuri team, but for the 2022 FWC, uh, uh, Black Desire, Meltier. Like, these were the matches I liked. These are the matches I'm interested in. These are the matches with movement and excitement. And uh, nobody in this match trying to big league and no-sell, whether that's their style or not. Uh, we got Mirai taking bumps on her neck. We got Amisure going uh, ass over tea kettle over the ropes. Uh, we got good near-fall sequences with uh, with Koguma, and Hazuki remains one of the best on this roster in terms of the ring. And she was on something again. She just has so much fire. Uh, between her and Momo, they're part of that other generation, and I'm really wondering what the plan is for them uh, in this landscape. Uh, could we see some more white and red belt defenses that they could go after? Or are they going to continue to do uh, some interesting tags? I mean, I got no problem with their tag matches. Uh, I think it's a good use for them when they're not, you know, going going for titles, right? And this is, I think this was a good match to get the new eras back on track after that black mark abysmal match. Uh, where they won the titles in a in a count out fashion because it would not have shocked me if they would have lost this match. And what Stardom's now doing is uh, making a story out of that because in the post, uh, Tora and Momo are cutting promos on them, calling them kind of weak the way with the way they won. But uh, this match was a good step in the right direction, and I could see. Ami and Mirai going forward with a strong tag title run against teams like FWC to get them over the way that uh, the 7-Up crew uh, didn't. 
Mina Shirakawa. Oh, and the Momo Tora match, I got no problem with them being challengers. Uh, Momo Watanabe has been very strong. We'll get to another match of hers. Uh, and I think she's gonna she's gonna do very well against Ami and Mirai. And then we got our main event. Natsupoi challenging Mina Shirakawa, 20 minutes, 27 seconds. Has an 8.7 on cage match. Uh, 68 total votes, uh, which um, kind of doubles and triples and quadruples a lot of other Joshi promotions out there. But uh, anyways, Natsupoi, big entrance, and then the lights turn off and we get a silhouette, heavy dance of Mina Shirakawa. The sparklers, uh, fireworks are, are in. This woman is taking everything she has and she's making it star level worthy. Uh, she is on another level right now uh, compared to a lot of the roster. She's cutting promos. She's got her group that's doing well. Uh, this is this is great to see. Uh, I was like the first person on the Mina Shirakawa train uh, in singles. <laughs> And everyone's hopping on with me. It's great to see. Uh, the confidence in this woman is something else. Uh, what a great spot. And she, it, I mean, this wonder of stardom title this year is doing so great. Uh, you know, once that Ami Saray defense in January was over and done with, this this title has just hit with Sayakamatani Hazuki, Sayakamatani Mina, and now Mina Natsupoi. Uh, the, the, the level of confidence this title has right now is, is outstanding to see. Um, crowd was into this. Uh, the kicks were on point for Natsupoi throughout. They, they did the German suplex apron spot right away. And I loved the build to this on the tours of Natsupoi consistently, uh, avoiding the leg work and, uh, uh, leg shots that Mina would go for. And they tease it in the beginning of the match rather than kind of what you see out of Shuri matches where it's more grappling. Where Mina and Poi just went to the ropes and I love Mina going for the dropkick early and Poi uh, moving out of the way and avoided it as long as she could. And once Mina got a couple shots in, uh, you'd see Poi kind of favoring the leg a little bit. She's hitting it and the more it was worked, the more, the more peril she slowly started to go into and... Uh, start playing more evasive counter-wrestling and Mina Shirakawa was on the offense because there were multiple points in this match where it looked like Natsupoi was going to get some sort of advantage. And, you know, you look at the outside of the ring and you see a lot of Club Venus out there. You don't see a lot of DDM. I'm putting it that way. Uh, you don't see a lot of uh, Cosmic Angels over there. You got you got full team support, home court advantage almost with Mina Shirakawa. That kind of paid off, <laughs> I think. I think I think there was uh, there was some merit to it, at least in terms of kayfabe. The uh, eventual shots where Mina's going for her strike combo, she had some real good kicks in this match. But the particularly her eventually hitting the back fist was so crucial to the match, and her finally pulling off her little. Uh, I think she calls it like dragon screw Mina, but I, I like calling it the one winged screw <laughs> that she does to really put her away. And the emphasis on getting the figure four in the way she did uh, was was all done to perfection. Uh, it's high level. It's high level match format. 
It's 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 a formula that really engages the viewer. Uh, I've seen nothing but praise for this match. Uh, I really liked it. It's an easy full three. Uh, do I think it's a top three starter match this year? It sure as hell might be. Um, definitely top five. I put it up there. And honestly, I put this match above a lot of the Joshi Indy stuff too. Um, so the Joshi Indy's got to pick it up. <laughs> pick it up, brother. Yeah, so Mino wins with her, um, you know, inverted DDT leg lock driver thing. I forget what she calls it. Uh, great match. It's a fantastic match. <clears throat> and I do recommend it quite a lot. And then in the post-match, we get our announcement and challenge. Uh, Mino wants to go for the red belt. So we're continuing this Club Venus uh, Cosmic Angel storyline, Mina versus Tam. Um, you have to wonder if this was the direction they wanted to do with like an Arisa Hoshiki Mayu from a couple years ago. Uh, I have to also wonder if if Mayu and Tam was going to be some sort of direction like this, and then uh, kind of plans change accordingly to who's hot. Uh, regardless of the circumstance, this is where we're at now. And our next pay-per-view is Mina versus Tam, uh, title versus title, Wonder versus Red. And it's a hot storyline. It feels hot. It feels important. Uh, the groups are feuding. Uh, there's good promos involved. Uh, I'm very much into the idea of the match and the build to it. The problem is is it's a double title match in Japan and we know and and just history. We know how this ends. It, like get your Rossi Ogawa memes out now. Book in 30 minute draw. You just feel it coming. And you just don't feel like either are going to lose to each other I, uh, as well. So is that going to be enough to draw the crowd and interest for that next show cuz there's nothing else on that card? <laughs> I mean, an Azumi three-way with Saki Kashima and uh, the, the the comedy clown. Like, can't say I'm feeling that one. So it's it's a one-match show. I mean, I'm going to be into the match regardless, but I can't say I'm like totally bought into it because of the history, and I just had I just struggle with with getting in, into into it to that extent. Could they just have Tam win? I mean, they could. And then what do you do from there? They they say that they are going to establish both titles as singles, but, you know, it's almost like an argument not worth even discussing because we kind of know how these things play out. Uh, and until we see something play out differently, then I'm just kind of treating this like a 30-minute draw, and I just wish they could have put a little bit more effort into where we're going. But like I said, it's a hot program regardless. It feels hot. So who am I to judge? Uh, I mean, unless the show draws like 900 people, we kind of have very little to discuss here uh, and until we until we see uh, what has taken place, uh, both from a business perspective and a match perspective. So let's go into uh, New Blood and fuck it. I'm going to play another theme. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna play this one. Here we go.
double tam action at New Blood. Uh, sold out show. Four hundred seven people in the in the uh, small Shinagawa Intercity Hall. Um, I have to think that if they could have booked a little bit of bigger venue, uh, they could have they could have drawn more for the show uh, because I think there was a lot to like uh, from the show. I think there was a lot to take away in the positive. Uh, this was an enjoyable new blood. I think it was better than their little Yokohama gimmick that they had for sure. Uh, I think it's their, I think, dare I say it's New Blood's best show. Uh, Stardom NXT. <laughs> uh, Stardom Dark, if you will. I don't know. I'm just making comedy parallels, but uh, I I was really into this this show as a development of talent and a way to introduce people, for sure. We got, um, so the, the number is the best that they've done in uh, quite some time. Minus the Yokohama one. Uh, I'm still bullish that they could have probably broken that Yokohama number with a card like this uh, and gotten a com- at least comparable um, if the venue was it. Now, do I think they should do these in like Shinjuku face? I don't. I-, I would much rather a venue like this than Shinkiba first ring or the face. Uh, I-, I do like the uh, changing up the feel of where they go. Waka defeats Aya Sakura, six minutes. It's what you think it is. Uh, the Inaba sisters go to a 15-minute draw with the Hanan Hina sisters. Um, so sister versus sister goes to a draw. Uh, I, you know, I would have kind of just pinned Hina here, to be honest. But Azusa Inaba has like four matches to her name. Um, this match was very rough in the beginning, especially with Hina, of all people, actually. But once Hanan and Tomoka and Naba got in there, it uh, really, really came into its own. And I pretty much gave every match on this on the show except uh, one or two, one out of three. Um, I didn't give anything to the Waka match. Uh, so this was kind of fire, and you know, I'm I'm gonna call I'm gonna call it like I see it. I do not see future Ace material in Hanan. You know, I hear this all the time on various other Joshi podcasts or Joshi fans that Hanan is the next ace of stardom or she's prime for it. Look at this ace look. She's got new music. That's ace level. I don't know. In her age bracket, <laughs> in that that group, I mean, I have tons of people ahead of her. Uh, I'll even throw Momo Watanabe in there because she's only like 23. She's not that far ahead in terms of age. You know, uh, there's a lot of people more skilled than Hanan, uh, even at 1920, right? Suzu Suzuki comes to mind as, like, number one, but anyways. May Sarah, Suzu Suzuki, defeat Chan Yoda, my Sakurai, nine minutes, and even in post, my Sakurai's gotta do her, I'm more glamorous, stick, you peasant fucks. And Chan Yoda, as her tag partner, continuing, just makes it all the more funny. The more she leans into this fair lady stuff, Chan Yoda is like j- jock bodyguard extraordinaire. <laughs> it's so funny. Love it. Uh, Maysara Suzu, uh, great tag team. Let's keep this up. The Supernova trial series continues. This time, Momo Watanabe got to beat that rookie ass. <laughs> Miyu Amasaki, 11 minutes. I went two out of three on this. I thought this was phenomenal. Momo kicking the shit out of her, then wants to lean too much into the heel thing, as she does 
and that it, that proves to be her downfall for a time. She sells her ass off for this woman, and Mew's looking more and more smooth. And get this: the more she works, the better she gets. Loved it. Momo kicks her head off. Uh, I think she hit her. I think she hit her with the peach sunrise or some something or a variation. High kicks her, picks her up off the mat like a heel, and then like uh, she does the B driver on her and puts her away. <laughs> it's great. Uh, she basically she basically cuts a promo that says, "You will call me Momo Watanabe's son, you bitch ass hoe," and got out of the ring. And there's a great camera shot of Miu flat on her face, and then it cuts to Tommy just like disappointed <laughs> ringside. That's the kind of wrestling I like. Uh, Nanai beat Ruaka in 12 minutes because, of course, it had to last that long. Uh, this was rough. The The formula of Nanai in these kinds of singles matches is what she's good at uh, against youngsters, I mean. Uh, I mean, from her early days in stardom to her trying to do seedling, very much the same. Uh, that's what she knows. That's what she's good at. That's And she gets to go over in the end every time. She gets to have her no-selling for the majority of the match. You know, prove your best, hit me, hit me if you want to hit me kind of situation. But this woman's this woman's broken. She screams. She doesn't really bump because she can't. Uh, her knee is shot. Her neck looks hurt. Her back is broken. Uh, it, it's, it's tough to watch. And I'm not just saying that as someone who just doesn't like Nanai Takahashi, the way she is, the way she wrestles, her persona, the whole passion thing. It's it, the, the broken athlete thing depresses me no matter who they are. And I still went one out of three on it. Uh, I'm, I'm being fair. I think that the formula does work. Look, the Nanai Miyu Amasaki match was good. Um... Who else did she? I think it was Nanai Yuna Mizumori was pretty good. I think they had a match. Uh, there's been a number of these Nanai youngster singles, which are okay. They're fine. New Blood tag title match. <laughs> in More charisma Umasaki, but still can't really wrestle all that good. A team in with Starlight Kid against Hanako and Lady C. 16 and a half minutes. Look, Karma, she's trying, guys. She's really trying. But uh, Shiver Sleep isn't it. <laughs> but Starlight Kid against Hanako and Lady C, that's it. Yeah. I won't ramble on. Uh, we did get our next challengers of the uh, Inaba Sisters, which I'm super into. Looking forward to that. And kind of in a shock, Rina defeats Ami Sore, center of the ring, submits her, with the Hydrangea, a la Hanukkah So, we got Mirai bumping her ass off, uh, uh, you know, taking neck-first Germans in matches. We got Ami Sore submitting to teenagers clean. Boy, funny how all of a sudden they're not uh, quote-unquote sandbagging anymore. Uh, no problem there, huh? Okay, anyways. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, new champion. Uh, cool to see. I, I like the move with Rina. I do. And this uh, this kind of graduates Ami Sore away from the future title, and I, I think she was kind of past that already. Then we got our main event, Double Tam. Uh, this was entertaining as hell. It's now Ishikawa being Tam Nakano, and she looks 
strikingly like her. She even got her own gear. They had a whole video package building it up. It, it was fucking hilarious. Uh, and what a way to just continue to dance on Ice Ribbon's grave. The, 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 the ice caps are melting day in and day out. And if you... <laughs> I mean, it's... It's so wacky how this is just... I mean... Okay. So, we... We... I say we, but, uh, you know, people that listen to this podcast and myself have been saying for many years that the Joshi scene is too split up, too segregated, uh, too... Uh, there's just too many promotions, and the, the there's just not enough talent out there to fill them all, right? So, unfortunately, Ice Ribbon is essentially integrated into stardom now. And I would have liked to see, like, a Marvelous or Seedling kind of be absorbed into stardom rather than Ice Ribbon, personally. I liked what Ice Ribbon did for many years. I mean, it was my favorite Joshi promotion for a good long time there. Uh, but this is the fruits of labor, where you have now a strong roster of people with, I mean, they're fill. I mean, New Blood is essentially uh, the third best Joshi promotion. I personally have it at number two, just in terms of my fandom, because I think they're doing better and more interesting stuff than TJPW. That's just my opinion and fandom of it all. But even in terms of like ticket sales for rookies, more or less, what we'll call them. Uh, and and the match outputs are more consistent, I feel. Uh, certainly more interesting in their building things, uh, card to card. I mean, hell, we got uh, Mio Amasaki calling out Azumi for the next show, and Azumi hasn't even been on a New Blood show yet. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of legs that they can go in and out here with uh, the stardom main roster, if you will. I mean, hell, they brought Tam Nakano, the Red Belt Champion, into the main event against a former Ice Ribbon wrestler who looks like her. Uh, it's good stuff. I, I, I like I like these moves. I like I if again, unfortunately it had to be Ice Ribbon, but the consolidation of talent, you know, it has to be done at some point. Uh in a in a perfect world, TJPW would invest their money and get some of these freelancers in into them. I mean, truly what is stopping them from signing a Miyuki Takase, a Mayuki, whomever, to bolster their main event and roster and bolster the up and coming talent rather than just, well, kind of nothing. And there's just not enough out there. I mean, I would love for pure J to consolidate with a seedling and, uh, the young Diana. And we have a, uh, consolidated promotion that has a strong roster, a strong core. Uh, but, Unfortunately, that's kind of not where we're at. Um, but back to New Blood here. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Um, yeah, Tam Nakano against Tam Nakano. They, they bolted the entrances. When the second entrance came on for now to come out, uh, the crowd audibly laughed because <laughs> it was just the same music again. Uh, she's got her own fake red belt. And boy, when Tam Nakano started ripping up the cardboard red belt, that crowd was mad. <laughs> <laughs> they went boo, <laughs> uh, and they had a good match. They had a strong match. Uh, nice little two out of three. I was in a good mood. Um, uh, and uh, Tam puts her away as expected, but 
you know, a good introduction for a new talent. And if the, if this is what we see more of, of now Ishikawa going forward, then, hey, I'm all for it. Uh, let, let's see some more of this. And I, I think New Blood was a uh, New Blood 8 was a success. And yeah, we're eight shows into this now. And um, I think we're three shows into 2023 for New Blood. Uh, no showcase. Still no showcase. Just to throw that out there. Thank God. Uh, God, those shows were bad. <laughs> uh, and that'll kind of do it. Uh, that That's a podcast. Uh, very excited to see what uh, what stardom is going to bring going forward. I'm super interested in the future of TJPW with what's on the horizon there. And then I guess the Joshi Indies, uh, we'll see what happens from uh, the young talent perspective uh, going forward. Who, who knows what's going to happen there? I have I have my theories, but we'll go over that another time. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, see you next time.